everyone, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Watches House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 8, The Lord of the Tides. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe, and we're back, back on track. Well, Corlys isn't back on track, but before we jump into that, Eliana, what's our spoiler policy? Alright everyone, please, please, please. Do not skip these first few seconds of the episode if you are someone who has not read Fire and Blood, has not read any of the A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones books, depending on how you call them, or The World of Ice and Fire, or uh, any of the Winds of Winter chapters, but we don't really talk about those, so you're probably safe if you haven't. Anyway, or any of Dunkin' Egg, because we talk about everything. Yeah. All of it. All of it is spoilery in our book. It is free reign, free territory. Uh, thank you for tuning into the spoiler section. It is very imperative you hear that before we move forward. And if you are hearing us for the very first time on these House of the Dragon episodes, we also have a podcast where we talk about the main series of A Song of Ice and Fire. We are rereading A Song of Ice and Fire POV character by POV character at a time. We're currently covering Bran Stark. We're about to wrap up A Game of Thrones with our friend Manu, my nuclear bomb over from Not A Cast, from the My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast podcast, and uh, God, and his Podsance Frontier, talking about Metal Gear. So Manu's coming on to talk about Bran with us in the next chapter, and then we'll wrap up A Game of Thrones, and on to Clash we go. We're so excited. Indeed. And also... If you uh, want more people to talk about House of the Dragon with, well, do we have a place for you? It is called the Girls Gone Canon Discord. Yeah, the Discord is wild. It is where <laughs> every week on Fridays at 2 p.m. ET, Eliana time, our friend Maddie hosts a a discussion, a hot discussion on this week's episode and speculates about the next episode coming out. And honestly, it's a really nice time. Maddie puts a lot of great work into it, and I've had fun listening in and hearing some theories, some speculations every week, just a roundtable chat. Uh, and that's not the only thing you get out of the Discord. There's also a monthly brunch or slash happy hour, depending on where you live and what time it is. And that takes place on a Saturday or Sunday every month from 2 to 4 ET p.m., this month, we haven't called the date out yet, but tune into Bran this week with Manu to find out that date. Yeah, that's TBD. And of course, I mean, as, as Chloe said, the Hot D discussions are going great. Maddie's doing a wonderful job, uh, even though she gets bullied a lot. So tune in, support. Sometimes she brings it on herself. <laughs> uh, hey, and there are a couple other perks if you are just looking to support on a little smaller scale, you want to throw $5 in the tip jar every month, we do a bonus episode every month, special content just for patrons. And we did put out last month the second part of our series, Mothers of the Dragons, or affectionately that can be called MILFs of the Dragons. Yes. If you, if you so like that, which I do. Uh, I do too. And yes, yeah, so we did part one on Visenya, Rhaenys, Reyna, and Alyssa Valerian uh, over in over in August, and then we did part two on Alisanne and all of uh, her children last 
month, September, and this month we might do part three, but we also might not. We are still also figuring out what we want to do for this month's Patreon episode. Yeah, this month's episode will be announced uh, probably soon as well, so keep your eyes peeled for that. If you want to head over to patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, you can check out all those tiers, what they have to offer, and more. Yes. So this is something that we usually do during our episodes for our read-through, which is emails and tweets of note. Uh, People, you know, understandably don't always have time between like when the episode drops and when we record to send us emails and tweets of note but we did get one that was very fun from fran felix uh who also sent a picture of their cat blue which was wonderful thank you for that uh if you have photos of your of your animals that you would like to send us please email us at girlsconcanon c-a-n-o-n at gmail.com that was very important Uh, but fran says Hey guys, I was wondering if you have seen the tweets where people gave Hot D the telenovela treatment. I found it amusing and really accurate. And Fran linked a couple of hilarious examples of people like editing scenes and stuff from House of the Dragon to telenovela openings, like opening credits. Very, very fun. Yeah, like Pasión de Dragones is my favorite one, probably. (laughs) It's amazing. It's so good. Uh, fuego y sangre. Oh my god, it is hysterical. These are the funniest. Uh, we will link them for you guys in the description of the episode. You have to check these out. This is the kind of mail that I like yeah. to receive. Thank you, Fran. Yeah, and also I think um the the uh a we love we'll, we can retweet them as well. But also something else that um people loved last week was. Corinna's theory about Helena and blood and cheese. So that was a banger. God, that was a banger. And I'm not ready to accept it, especially with the further Helena prophecy today. Mm. Well, I mean, let's get into it, right? Yeah, up top, before we launch scene by scene through this, as planned, I do want to shout out that we had some wonderful directors and writers this evening. Eileen Shim. Uh, is a great screenwriter. I haven't gotten to check out a lot of their work, but I mean, has a good has a good little uh, resume built up there on the old IMDb deck, if you know what I mean. And then Gita Patel directed, and she actually has directed a show that's very dear to you that you dragged me into <laughs> recently, which was The Mindy Project. And she did the very famous Jeremy and Anna's Meryl Streep costume party episode, of 2017 uh, Mindy's best friend baby got backslide and she's done a couple one-offs for runaways and the magicians and also did superstore a bunch of episodes for superstore I really I kind of liked getting to see the opposite side of that right like she's done a lot of comedy and some lighter toned stuff and she went in on this episode oh absolutely and um yeah I absolutely love the Mindy project I love I love Mindy Kaling stuff in general, but also, um, yeah, I mean, I think I like all those other shows too, like Superstore and Runaways and Ma- The Magicians. I think with Superstore mm-hmm. and The Runaways and The Magicians, like, also with The Mindy Project, but like, those, uh, they have some really important emotional beats that I think they're kind of known for that, so you can really see that shine in this episode. Absolutely. We open up the episode on Driftmark. And Rainey's is ruling 
because Corlys was hurt fighting in the Stepstones. And I really love the way this opens. It kind of infers to us within the first opening scene that it's been six years. Yeah. And that Rainey's and Corley's have been estranged for those six years and that he chose to grieve the loss of his son and daughter through war and left her to rule with Bela. And I also think it's good timing for him to possibly have dragon seeds mm. crop up, maybe, question mark, question mark, question mark. Rainey's really becomes this political player in this episode because we see in the last episode in private, she speaks really harsh truth with Corlys, her beloved, uh, but is a unified front and understands where power comes from on Driftmark and in King's Landing in this episode. She absolutely sees, yes, I know what's right, but do I know what saves our house's skin? I like that idea that this could be maybe something where the dragon seeds start you know, where, where he plans them, right? But I, I'm not sure if the timing works for the span of the war. It might, it might not. I don't know because of uh, they're doing things like a little differently in terms of timing. But it, it really like shows, as you said, the, those cracks in their relationship and explains how someone like Corley's could end up having two bastards, right? Because we are told in Fire and Blood that he's so devoted to Rainies, um, who I guess is pronounced Renice, but you know, I've been saying it as Rainies for a really long time, so it's hard to break habits. But it's Rainies. Yeah, it, it was Fuck Yeah, I couldn't like I couldn't um really always reconcile that description with someone who Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ha- Agreed. Uh, especially if they choose to adapt it for this with Laner, it's very obvious that they aren't Laner's kids. So passing it off as Laner's kids is hysterical. Like the funniest joke Corlys could ever play, having bastards and being like, what, they're Laner's. But at the same time, I guess we don't know. Yeah. They could be. And it doesn't matter as much at that time anyway, because they're so hard up on needing needing dragon riders, right? Uh, there's the only one that's left is like, joffrey by that point when they're because they all die that's a great point that uh it is hilarious and uh you know everything just makes (laughs) everything look so much more suspicious with uh i mean vaymond looking down on him from the the seven hells elephant in the room that is not an elephant because everyone's fucking talking about it this episode so yeah that b word is out there bastards yeah does it make you all scared as a bastard, I want you to know I hope it does. I hope it does. I kind of wonder if Corlys would see Lenor there fighting at the Stepstones. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah, I was wondering that. I, I don't know. Like, it would make sense, right? That's part of where Lenor went, right? Or that's what we assume he went to because that's what he really wanted to go join. But... And also, he was like a... he was. A pretty, I think, talented strategist, so it would not be surprising if he rose through the ranks and, you know, helped command some of some forces or whatever. But also at the same time, like, I'm I'm not fond of the theory that he returns as Adam of Hull. I'm not about Mm -hmm. that, but... Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. You could only have so many Gianna reads in the story, you know, before you complicate <laughs> it too much. Yeah. Not to be that asshole, but you could get a very sad death out of Lenor in his dad's arms. Do you think he's going to come back up at all? Because I know, like, that's been a point of discussion. Like, does, do we see Lenor again at all within this show? Like, are they going to address that? And 
If we do, it's to see him die in Courtley's arms. Yeah. I bet you $20. Otherwise, it's just going to be sea smoke. I mean, you know, going into a fit of rage all of a sudden out of nowhere and crying out into the sky. Maybe. I don't think that they would because it feels like they really went out of their way to not have to do, right? And to subvert the, the barrier gaze trope. So I don't think they would bring Lenor back just to die on screen like that in that way. But I don't know. Look. Season two, Rhaenyra, there's a downslide in the morality of some of the things that she and her people on her side do. We are going to see some of those slides of morality come out of them. However, it could do here and there to give her a couple redeeming things. So in a sick, horrible, twisted way, they might just undo their barrier gaze, unbarrier gaze. They might unbury the gay, bring him back, bury him for real. I'm, I hope they don't. I don't, but yeah. They, I mean, Sea Smoke has to get a rider. I hope they don't. I don't think that they will. I think that there's something there to, I mean, sometimes people just disappear from your life and you're like, I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> you know? And it's like, not to spoil the end, but I'm going to spoil the end of Do Revenge to an extent. But someone be like, you were the lucky <laughs> one, right? Like, you got out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he has to die still. Sorry, Lena. Yeah. I do think he'll have to die. Probably eventually, but like, like it doesn't have to maybe be off screen. screen. I don't think. I, I think that they, on a meta level, right, like went out of their way as showrunners to be mindful of that and not play into that. Rainies and Bela are hearing Bayman's complaints because he's got a lot of them. And it is interesting to see that in this conversation, Rainies does not seem to repeat Bela's claim, if I'm not mistaken. And also, there's something there to be said about how Rainey's ruling in Driftmark, um, you know, obviously she has, to an extent, a claim as well, right, which Rhaenyra brings up later, but it parallels Alicent's situation, which is something that Veyman reminds her that, you know, the king isn't ruling right now in King's Landing, and he kind of fails to see the parallels between this of, like, I'm going to ask the person who's ruling in the king's stead to give me rulership over Driftmark as opposed to the person who is currently ruling in my brother's stead. He doesn't necessarily even ask Alicent for the approval when he goes there, That's right? True. Like, it's very much a formality, and he there's a look that he exchanges with Otto right before he calls them bastards. He looks at Otto, and Otto kind of catches his eye, almost as if to say, Go on, just like we practiced, young Vaymond, just like we said, behind the scenes. And, like, almost like the air, like, if he blinked, there was going to be a nod right there of him saying, do it. And he doesn't ask Alicent. He's not there to ask Alicent. Alicent is very much the accessory, and power flows through her, but her father is definitely guarding it. Yeah. And, like, Rainey sees very clearly, she knows and sees how and where power flows and how to grasp power through, from, around men. She's had to do it her whole life. Yes, that's true. She learned the lesson early. Yeah, has had to navigate that and is like, you know what, let Vayman go do his shenanigans. <laughs> and Yep, let him make a fool of himself. Yep. Boy, he does. Boy, he, he does. He really does. Fucked around, found he out. Found out. He really did, though. But he didn't, I think, know what he was doing when he was fucking around. And we'll get to that. The Lord of Finding Out. <laughs> How that? I'm damn, 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 damn. So let's climb up the Dragon Mont. This was so exciting. We head to Dragonstone, and we start off on Dragon Mont, the volcano on the island. 
And it is, I don't know, it's like such a nerdy thing for them to give to us. Thank you so much, first of all. You know, it's actually said that beneath Dragonmont are the deposits of Dragonglass, right? Mm. So if you remember all the way back to season seven of Game of Thrones, wow. that's probably where John is mining all this Dragonglass from. But they didn't really care to show us Dragonmont, but Ryan Condal did. Yeah, he did. Ryan Condal did. Yep, and you know, Stannis and Mel used to go there too. This is where uh, Stannis and Mel would go. There are shafts, they say, and secret stairs down into the mountain's heart, into hot places where only she may walk unburned. It is enough and more to give an old man such terrors that sometimes he can scarcely find the strength to eat. Yeah, so Damon does not take any secret stairs. We don't have to do that, right? We don't have to sneak around. He just goes into the nest and we find the eggs. And I have a couple of questions, such as why are they so goopy? All right, why are they so goopy? Um, what's around That's it? That's the embryo, dog. <laughs> and also, I think it's very fascinating that they decided to build out that sort of biology around the dragon eggs, right? He doesn't just go mm-hmm. in there and like find the eggs there. He has to... Uh, kind of smash them out of the hardened goop and it actually reminds Mm -hmm. me a little bit of the process i guess for harvesting lava i don't know if any of you have ever watched that video for some reason that was trending and showed up on my twitter again Uh, and it's like you know it's like the silvery film over the red hot lava and the people they take the pick and they kind of like slide it uh, like kind of tear off the opening the top layer in a way, it looks like, I don't know, rubber, like the rubber of a balloon as they like squoosh it off. And then they gather the red hot lava and then throw it into a little bucket of cool water to cool it down. Anyway, it's fascinating. And I kind of wonder if that's where they took inspiration for the eggs. Wow. <laughs> wow, I'm watching this now in real time, everyone. And I it's cool, right? This is insane. It's insane, though. It's very... And they're just wearing, like, fucking normal-ass, like, hiking boots. I'm like, wow, people are truly living on the edge. I would hope they did look at some of this, especially with, obviously, Dragonmont being a volcano. Mm. However, I do know they talked about how they wanted it to be, you know, they were very inspired by Alien. Oh, yeah, that it's makes sense. It's very much like Alien. The goo is almost exactly like Alien. I see However, it. they did want it to be their own thing, so it wouldn't surprise me if they also looked at volcanoes and lava to kind of look at how they act, especially because dragons kind of, like, are that. That is them. That is they. They are lava. Yeah. I lava them. <laughs> I lava them. I do lava them. But, yeah, I did kind of get a sci-fi feel from it, too, so. The Valerian boys are learning high Valerian, in the painted table room poor jace he is so stressed out he is such an heir oh my god he is like having the most stressed time ever uh ever and he's learning a phrase actually that stood out to me though and it reminded me of our good friend yogi Uh, yogi had said a while ago that he wondered if agen would cut down the god's wood possibly out of anger and I was thinking, you know, like when the North joins the Blacks, for example, instead, maybe he cuts down the godswood and the heart tree out of anger. But him saying Aegon felling a tree, which probably does relate to Aegon the First cutting down a tree, maybe a heart tree, but made me think about what if? 
What if that me- meant something? What if it meant something? We just don't well, know. Well, it's fascinating that you say that it might have meant something because we find out that the root of felling is similar to the root for killing, which killing. I did not look up the yeah. High Valyrian words because I am not trying to learn High Valyrian and there are other people out there who can do that for you. For example, the Learned Hands podcast. So, but that is interesting if uh, it, what you're saying about them felling like a weirwood because it is seen to be sort of this living network, but also, I mean, trees in general, right? They're alive, so it's interesting. They are living beings, those plants. Yeah, they in have real their life. own blood. Uh, they do not have their own blood in real life, but they are alive. Well, I mean, in real- well, I guess so. They have veins, they have blood, they have roots. Yeah, they have roots and all that stuff, and they got, they're very cool trees, we're about them. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Jace's stress, I'm also kind of like, did they not, did they not speak with him in Valyrian when he was younger? But, and is he like just trying to learn it more formally now? Because at the same time, like both parents, like both Laner and Rhaenyra spoke Valyrian. So they could have started speaking to the children earlier on in Valyrian, same with Daemon to make sure that they uh, really knew it better, but also it gives me some vibes of Rhaegar being such a studious prince. And I'm wondering if Rhaenyra has actually even passed on the pro- prophecy yet to him. Is that why he also feels like, besides wanting to be tied to tradition and knowing his roots, right? Which is great. We love Jake's, Jace. Um, yeah, but it, and it also serves to characterize him as this like king who's very smart. He's courteous. He's trying to understand where he comes from so that he can make better decisions for the future, right? And trying to understand Valyria versus Aegon II, who's just literally dicking around. <laughs> literally. I'm so sad for Jace, right? Because he's obviously had so much put on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, too, whether... She- I don't think she's told him yet, because I think they'd make a scene of it. I think they will give us that of her oh, telling okay. him yeah, yeah. of the prophecy. I think great that would point. be such a great... I- I've been hoping they would, in general, like since they put that cute little nugget of the heir gets to learn about it from the 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 king queen whatever and she's not queen yet to be fair right yeah so maybe she didn't think it was time yet but i would love after she becomes queen season two because i mean his death is what is his death's gonna happen season two yeah oh god a lot of people a lot of people are gonna (sighs) die season two like i imagine right rainies would die season two rainies 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 Every time I hear it, I just think of the Key Rindix. and Peele sketch. You think of what? D-Nice. Oh, I... Uh, the Key and Peele sketch, where they misname everyone. I, you know this, and I think I've already shared it here. I think of the, the Medieval Land Funtime World. One of, like, good dude, that's yes. Denise. Yes. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Two perfectly canon thoughts, in my opinion. <laughs> they can live alongside one another. Yeah, there's also... There is something interesting in that, like, they didn't... I don't know... They didn't teach it to him or try to instill more of it in him from a younger age. And I think that does speak a little bit to some of the things that were A, going on in their lives, right? She had a disruptive um, half decade there to decade Mm -hmm. and Damon coming in too. But it is disappointing. I'm sad about that. I I had wanted, I, I feel like it does put him at a disadvantage. Like you already know that people at court are gonna whisper about how he's a bastard because he is. Because it turns out you fuck Harwin all the time. And Lane or not so much. So, you know, they came out as Harwin. So what are the odds? What does that mean? Can anyone tell me? 
yeah, you're already putting them at such a disadvantage, even when they go to King's Landing in the next few scenes. Like, I feel so bad for them because they're ostracized at court. Yeah. Because she's also kept them away from court for six years. That's true. I, I, yeah, I just don't really understand why he doesn't know it because if, granted, they don't know much about, I guess, child psychology and development, but if Rhaenyra already knew and Lainor already knew that they wanted their children to know Valyrian, it's Mm -hmm. not like they're trying to keep them. It's not like they're trying to be like, oh, we want you to assimilate into Westeros, right? Then they should have been speaking to their children in Valyrian from the beginning. Absolutely. Because that's the best way to get kids to learn another language, right? And it is important to them to keep their traditions and to keep the knowledge of the language. So I'm just surprised that they weren't doing that earlier. But I think that's just a nitpicky thing that I think about and notice as someone who is bilingual and like from an immigrant household. So I'm just surprised that that wasn't a choice that they made intentionally uh, and and did with the parenting. But I don't know if it's meant to speak also to like how it's harder as uh, generations yeah. go. Like, you know, the further down you are with ge- in the generations um, to maintain mm-hmm. the connection to your, to, to like your family's culture. But at the same time, Valeria is gone. <laughs> Yeah. As we're reminded a lot in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. The cobwebs strewn across his Valyria, like, Warhammer set, and the, the incense coming off of it telling you it's over, it's burning, everything's done, old man. And Vaymond, yeah, like, it's being like, like, we survived it. I mean, if I had to give a whole theme to this episode, it was, like, too little too late, right? Everything, True. every single corner... Any character turned around was something in their life telling them, well, this was too little too late. Uh, And yeah, it's interesting because coming from the exact opposite, right, of a one language speaking household, which was English, it was so fucking hard to learn other languages in my life later. Like it is literally easier to learn them early on. Uh, And maybe he does know some and he just doesn't know formal you know, maybe yeah, yeah, he yeah. just never picked up the formality, whatever. But I, I do think personally, I do feel there's some signs of like, on all sides here, that the grudge between their sides of the family has festered so much that it has stopped them from 100% doing the best job they could as parents. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, absolutely. And also, as you said, right, it might be that he knows it, but doesn't know it formally for like writing and reading which is also true of yeah a lot of a lot of immigrant kids too so it's possible yeah that's very true um it's also fascinating that in this so damon and rainier agree that it's time to return to king's landing to check in on viserys right and deal with this whole driftmark thing as as we've been discussing and it's also fascinating that throughout this whole episode we never get wind of viserys having actually disapproved of the marriage or for it being the reason that Damon and Rhaenyra stayed away for so long, because that is, I think, a big piece in Fire and Blood of of why mm-hmm. Damon and Rhaenyra together are estranged from Viserys. So there's not really, like, I guess, a reason for it. And maybe that explains, it is a shorter time span, right? It's six years versus the nine years uh, that they're away from King's Landing in, in the book, so. Yeah, I actually am a little disappointed not to get any reaction to that. 
right? And, and again, I'm trying to go along with the idea of these fleeting vignettes and looks into what yeah. happened over this several years to get us to the point which will be the end of this season, which is a different way to watch TV. It's not necessarily the most linear, but I do think like that needed a reaction a little more. And it's a bummer to take him all the way into that territory so fast. That said, it's masterclass what the fuck they did with it. I mean, with Viserys in general in this episode, I was like, you know, halfway in tears every fucking scene. Yeah. Where was the reaction? That was kind of a big deal. Like, everybody was like, how could they? Like, that That was like, and I guess that's part of the awkwardness of them coming there six years later now. And it's really weird and everything's off. Where was the reaction? I guess, are we supposed to take it that, as opposed to Viserys and, sorry, as opposed to Damon and Rhaenyra not returning to King's Landing because of Viserys' anger, are we supposed to take it that they didn't go to King's Landing because it was just such a hostile environment for them at that point by then? Especially, um, you know, with the whole scene of, like, Alicent and the dagger and and Rhaenyra, right? Like they were like, why would we go there with these people who hate us and who hurt us? And maybe that's supposed to be the, the rationale behind it. Yeah, if we're looking at the episodes linear as well, that's kind of how I'm taking it. Mm. Is that that event and that obvious like, oh, we're very alone here at court. And I don't know. There's something in the way that, for example, I love my husband very much, and sometimes he enables me when I know I should do something mm. and that I need to take care of something or that the right thing to do would be to do something a certain way and I'm just not doing it. And sometimes he's like, okay with that. And he's like, baby, I know it sucks. You don't got to do all that. Fuck those people. <laughs> and I think that's a little bit of what Damon and Rhaenyra do. Like, yeah. <laughs> that she's like, man, it would be really awful to have to go to court every day and face these people who are going to say that my sons are bastards. And it is awful. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to do it either. Um, but... Also, you leave for six years, which means that the court can grow to be on someone else's side and other people get to rule in your father's name. And the rumors about you can only spiral because these people are feeding them. And also, your dad's been on narcotics for six years straight and you don't know about it until you get to King's Landing. Yeah. Like, that's the other reason there's no reaction is because Viserys has been drugged for six years, whether sometimes he might have known about it and the pain sucked so bad and they're preserving him the best they can. But it wasn't all in good faith. That's for sure. Yeah. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. It's complicated having to decide, you know, when do you give someone painkillers, when do you not, right? What's for their comfort, what isn't? Um, And... Yeah, as you said, there's, there's, like, they have no allies at court. It's but the flip side to that is then they've ended up waning in power and influence, right? Like, it was bad mm-hmm. that if Rhaenyra is the heir, that she wasn't on the small council and being part of the decision-making. Yeah, absolutely. That is part of it for her. Like, you're sacrificing that. And I mean, that's, again, like I said, I understand it. I do this shit all the time that it's like, what if I'm just paralyzed with how upset I am about my life and I don't do anything? And that's the choice they made and these are some of the results that they get in return yeah and i mean they are these results are really something it's a first of all the decor is worse okay that's i think the most important my god of the results they go to king's landing and darklin announces them but also the decor is worse 
yes, we're going to see some of the decor and where it's gone soon. But first, before they get inside, Stefan Darklin announces them, which I was excited about because we haven't seen him yet. Mm. Um, a lot of people were wondering if Harold Westerling would take his place in some of the events in the story. But now that he's appeared, I definitely think that he is going to have his part of the story still yeah. and going to make off and help Queen make. And I love the shot of when she gets Tang's landing, the uncertainty and that feeling of like, please don't fucking make me walk into this hellhole with these awful people. And there's a lingering shot of her in the courtyard where we last saw Allison say goodbye to her father in, in that one episode Wow! before uh, Olivia Cook took over. Yeah. Yeah. And there's kind of this lingering shot that really made me think about that. Damn, that's big sad, right? Because that's also like, she's saying goodbye to her father in a way here too. Not in a way, literally. Um, Literal goodbyes. Yeah, and and uh, the yeah, we've seen the courtyard a lot of times before, right? It was also, I think, a, a place where we saw Allison and Rhaenyra's friendship as well. So to see it so coldly done is uh, yeah, it's sad. I know that um, you know, to briefly like do a fashion second, fashion minute, as opposed to a fashion hour, um. I kind of want to, something that I've been kind of thinking about recently is we don't really see Rhaenyra in the nicest of coats. And I know people wanted to see her in much more beautiful clothing. She has her awesome dress this this episode, but not everything she wears is bangers. But I kind of am wondering, uh, are we supposed to get the sense of that Rhaenyra, who's less interested in decorum things like that and having to perform in duty is she just someone like for whom she doesn't care about pa- she doesn't care about fashion which is fine that's interesting i don't know i i still think she's fashionable i think that that's a subjective kind of opinion people are having because she's still really opulent she wears rings she's got really nicely embroidered clothing her jackets i mean the other part of this is this is a pregnancy jacket yeah that she has over her dress so I know it's potato sacky, but like it is a pregnancy jacket and it's not necessarily always going to be the most fashionable. Unfortunately, maternity wear isn't always. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think also the other thing, and this is maybe a theory, you can play with this. This is a meta theory. The colors that they're putting the Targaryens in, especially that wear these blonde wigs, they have to be careful to make sure that it doesn't make the hair look more of a certain color than another interesting because the wigs are you know they're basically blonde they're not silver they're not orange or yellow but they're blonde they're like a white bleach blonde for the most part however they look yellow in certain coloring so for example also they'll wash you the fuck out but putting Rhaenyra in a lot of those yellow Cyrax colors probably also made the hair look less yellow. Hmm. That's one effect I imagine it had. But also, like, they put her in some of these different gowns that were a little simpler with uh, some nice embroidery, some nice scaling to kind of show some of that influence of Cyrax or, you know, of House Targaryen. Uh, Helena even is wearing similar fashion in this episode, I would say, to what young Rhaenyra would wear. So it seems like it was the style slash Rhaenyra wearing it made it the style at the time. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I think her dresses are fine. I, I, I know people really wanted her to be all out in like some beautiful evil queen villain wear get up with some crazy collars. But I mean, that's still to come. Yeah. 
maybe she isn't a bougie bougie bitch yet have you thought about that or maybe she just isn't one right like she's dressing more for comfort as you said like she these are maternity wear but in general like she she balances both style and comfort which means she's not wearing things that are always extravagant for everyday living right because it's just her every day and also in regards to the maternity wear as, as you're pointing out um and it is potato sacky our friends mary and lo uh one of the i don't i don't remember which one but one of them pointed out that it might be uh rainier kind of trying to hide her body because um it causes her discomfort in regards to her gender oh that is a great thought to kind of put out there yeah i never thought about that yeah, I don't know. I would also argue that her newer dresses, like as an adult, as grown-up Rhaenyra, have all been bangers. And she started wearing a lot of different, like color-wise, she wore a lot of softer tones in the earlier episodes as we kind of discussed, where now in these later episodes, she's starting to get more into the team black outfits. Yeah, more goth, but not that more goth. Yes, she's definitely going Sorry. goth. I think that is <laughs> lol, lol. Um, <laughs> well, no, loader. I do think that's uh, part of loader. it though is like also uh, youthful okay. innocence, you know? Like she also looked youthful in those colors and bright and young. Yeah. Where now she's going to take into the darkness. So then we have Lord Caswell greeting them because I mean, we love Lord Caswell. He's a real one. He knows how his bills get paid, first of all. And then he does. And <laughs> also and then he dies. Uh, but we did hear, obviously, that Otto like purposefully sent Lord Caswell to bring him in. So compared in a while to when Vaymon comes in with a total fleet of high towers, you're like, oh, I see. Fuck y'all. Um, yeah, And true. King's Landing, as you mentioned, is much more religious now as far as the decor. There's definitely Faith of the Seven gear everywhere. There's seven-pointed stars on everything. It's a little much. It's definitely kind of a change. You're like, oh, someone has taken a little power here. <laughs> it's something that they also called out, right, in the behind the scenes that happens at the end of the episodes, where it's Allison has kind of thrown herself into the faith to give her life meaning, especially after she's so stunned about what happened at Driftmark. Like, how could she do this? And also in a way to try and bring some sort of structure to their family. And it does not work, as we see. <sighs> yeah, you know, sometimes you turn to God when you can't turn to anyone else. To seven of them, even. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the small council, Beesbury actually starts talking about how the faith is trying to spend tons of money on statues for the Festival of the Mother. And he's trying to be like, you guys, we can't spend this money. This is ridiculous. And they all cut him off. And they're like, thanks for that exhaustive, you know, analysis. Um, he had a point. Like, people are hungry and starving. That that money could go elsewhere. Why do you need new statues for the mother? Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of funny because uh, when you call that, that's what they've been doing literally, like, that's what the high towers have been doing, like, literally every time we see them in the small council. They're like, hmm. I don't really know, but what if we talked about doing the party instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. They did, uh, this one they strayed from it at least because they had other matters to talk about, like whether or not Rhaenyra's children were bastards. But, but, yeah. usually they love to talk about the party instead. Gossip and party. How can we waste taxpayers' money? <laughs> 
there's this conversation that happens, which I think the newcomer to the council is supposed to be Ironrod. It's supposed to be uh, Jasper Wild, but they don't see his name, which is a bummer. Also, there's still no Darren. Just putting that out there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, (laughs) I believe someday they can pepper it in and it won't be weird somehow that they never said anything about a fourth child. Ironrod has a little conversation back and forth with everyone and, uh, Tyland Lannister pipes in, or is it Jason? No, that's Tyland. That's Tyland. Tyland Lannister pipes in too, and they say, "The boy has been raised most of his life away from Driftmark. He can fly a dragon, yes, but can he command a fleet? Ability does not alter his claim," says Beesberry. The Sea Snake has never formally named him an heir. If it comes to that, the Crown must choose what is best for the realm. Hmm. So you can already see. The current small council's hmm, motivations mm-hmm. and how they want to have some wiggle room around the things they decide and loopholes put into place. Here they are taking something that had been settled publicly, as Viserys soon will say, and saying, but what if, what if we took it apart one more time and tried again? That kind of stood out to me, especially because these are the very claims they're going to be making next episode about Rhaenyra and being like, that's interesting, but what if Viserys didn't say she was the heir and it was so long ago that maybe he misspoke? Yeah, even though we all had that giant ceremony. (laughs) And we were all there. And you were there. Yeah. And you were there. And my brother was like really into her and was scolded for (laughs) questioning that. Um... Yeah, I that's a great point of like how the how the small council has been going about these things, right? That they're especially that line of the crown must choose what is best for the realm because oh, how interesting that what is best for the realm seems to often coincide with what is best for the high towers specifically. Hmm. But it also kind of I think shows a bit of a change, right? But for how Alison used to approach that question in the earlier episodes um, I want to say it was episode three, right? Where Allison tells Viserys when he's deciding what to do about the Stepstones. And that's like the first big political influence that we see her having. Uh, and now she's here. She says, well, what would be best for the realm, right? Don't think about it, about what's what it means for your relationship with Damon. Like, what what's best for the realm? And uh, it, it's kind of, I think, uh, become a little bit distorted as it mingles with her feelings it, it, like in regards to Rhaenyra there's a great shot of her later again in that seat at the small council with Otto on one side Vaymond on the other yes and you can just see in her face like you got your seat at the table with the boys now but it, your plate doesn't taste so good does it no she's having a terrible time she's kind of excited when it gets interrupted i think she's like been anticipating it yeah uh well she does say too she's like i have guests to greet so she was i mean she still was looking forward to seeing Rainier oh yeah after all this time oh absolutely that's how <laughs> i so that's alive. how i read it but you know i'm biased but that's how i read yeah, it. yeah no agreed and sir eric actually comes in to divert allison's attention yes i was so excited watching, with captions on oh my god i was i knew they had been cast so i wasn't worried but i just didn't know when to when to look out for them it was so exciting to see sir eric come in and take her attentions and he kind of says we have an issue we Mm -hmm. have a code green on our hands (laughs) so in fire and blood he's actually 
Arik is actually who finds Rhaenyra and Damon in bed together for the first time, and that causes that whole kerfluffle. And he ends up made Rhaenyra's protector after Harwin was sent away from being her shield. In House of the Dragon, they have Eric being Aegon's personal protector on the little hot D guide on the website, it says so. So I guess that's canon, which that, that's kind of interesting to me that it, it would have made sense had they had time, had they showed more of it for Arik to have been her protector, Eric to be Aegon's protector. Uh, but I'm interested to see where they take that element because we'll talk about the trailer later. You can definitely see the Cargyle twins in yeah. next week's trailer, and it seems they play a very important role outside of just the roles they already play. Yes. And I do want to bring up this Arthurian lore, I guess are actually basically the inspo for the Cargyle twins that are Balin and Balin. They're tragic brothers destined to end up killing each other in battle. Balin lives a life cursed with misfortune. A knight who he's protecting is killed by an invisible knight. And when Balin attempts to avenge the death by tracking him down, he gets involved in a fight, lashes out, and wounds the lord of the castle, who is a king, with a sacred spear that had pierced the side of Christ. And that's a blow known as the Dolores Stroke, which lays waste to the land and makes a wound that can only be healed when the grail is achieved hmm. by Sir Galahad. Balin wins a second sword through chivalry and becomes known as the knight with two swords and is warned that if he keeps both of these swords, he kills the man he loves most in the world and will bring about his destruction. So by disbelieving this prophecy and keeping both of the swords, his brother, Balin, and himself, uh, their fates are sealed and he doesn't recognize his brother in battle and he kills him. Wow. Womp womp. Dang. Uh, I, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I think this is definitely the inspiration between Eric and Arik. And um, same as with Balin and Balin, I don't think it's going to make a difference how much we try to emphasize the difference in the letters. I think it will still sound confusing when listened to um, as to which one we are talking about. I realize that now. So Well, Arik and Eric. I mean, it's, it's, you'll know. That's what I'm doing. Well, I don't know. For me, it's hard to sometimes tell it apart. In, in the show, also, like, when they pronounced Eric versus Arik, they still said it in a way that I was like, they basically said the same word twice. They said the same name basically twice in a row. So, yeah, I, I watch it with the captions on because I need it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, one of them puts his hair down more often than the other one is what I'm trying to figure out, I think, too. It's also, like... Something else that uh, is really becoming clear, right, that I didn't think about so much in Fire and Blood when reading it, but that becomes so obvious when watched is the prevalence of twins in this time period, right? We have the Lannisters, we have the Cargyle twins, we have Jahara and Jaharis, we have Bela and Reyna who are not twins in the show. But they're twins in Fire and Blood. But if you go by even Fire and Blood, there's still so many twins uh, in in the in the series, which really I think goes to highlight how it's it's just families turning on each other in general, and this idea of the divide, the splitting of houses, and and you know that that duality that's going on within House Targaryen. Well, in a much gentler, sadder scene, because mm -hmm. this was a, a very mm -hmm. fast, you know, intro back to King's Landing. Things move fast. We break it down a little bit where Rhaenyra comes to her father's bedchambers with Damon and introduces her new children to him and to us. Thank God. 
thank the gods. I was so excited. I'm Obviously, they can't really cut them. But I know that filming with babies can be hard. And I, I was very excited to see. Them. I'm like, living with them is probably hard, too. But filming with them, my God. <laughs> uh, I was excited to see Aegon and Viserys. So cute. Damon, first thing, though, he pushes the Lucerus issue for Driftmark. And it's uncomfortable. Like, everybody. Rhaenyra's like, oh, babies. Yeah, it does make it really uncomfortable. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, to what extent, like, it it, it muddies, you know, the, the interactions between Damon and Viserys in this episode. Is he doing it, like, out of love? Is he doing it out of um, wanting some Viserys, something from Viserys? And it, it's possible that it's both, right? People are complicated. You can have more than one feeling at one time. But I do love that Rhaenyra cuts him off by by with the phrase of "There's someone I'd like to introduce to you." I just love that that framing. Yeah, it definitely felt like she wanted to cut him off, and she's like, "No, let's not do it this way." And she felt dirty about it. Um, and I think there's also something in that, like Damon knows they are on limited time. Damon yeah. knows this war is starting. I think before she does. I think that they're doing an interesting job of kind of softening yes. Rhaenyra in some aspects. But again, the book isn't really even canon because there's three different sources. So we don't actually know what happened. But you can see where Damon's experience as a commander in war is coming into play here, where Rhaenyra does not have that experience and does not see clearly what's happening, right? Like, especially in this episode, her and Allison almost feel like it almost seems like there's still redemption that could be had for them. But not not in the eyes of their children. I mean, they built that grudge up too deeply. You guys might yeah. have forgiveness for one another, but everyone around you doesn't. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly it, right? That's something that they wanted to portray as they showed in the behind the scenes. And we'll get to that um, in a second. But yeah, it's a... Uh, so when we're introduced to Aegon and Viserys, we, interestingly, speaking of things that weren't adapted, don't get wind of anything that's like what's suggested in Fire and Blood of Alicent taking insult to Rhaenyra, naming the child Aegon. So that might just not happen in this version of the story, but it also might just be like something, as you said, right? Like these are inaccurate. This is much like something that could have just been made up. And just like the way that Stannis thought it was an insult to be given dra Dragonstone, um, something that people just make up in their minds. I also thought there was a little bit of neat foreshadowing in there because when they introduce Aegon and Viserys, Viserys says of the child Viserys, um, all of the children look very little. They all look basically the same age, but Viserys is the younger. Aegon is the elder, uh, especially in Fire and Blood. And Viserys says, oh, that's a fine name for a king. And I'm like, oh, what an interesting, strange thing for you to say because, of course, as we all know, Viserys would be the heir next in line to the throne. So it should be his name that is a fine name for a king. But uh, because, again, this is a spoilers of everything podcast, so if for some reason you're still here, just, I don't know, tune out, skip the next few moments. But pretty much all of Rhaenyra's children die. Uh, and though this Aegon does eventually get crowned king, Aegon III, this Viserys does also become yeah. King Viserys II and crowned and the rest of uh, the, the throne. Uh, and, but him. I mean, he, his his descendants definitely mm -hmm. become very interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. So Alicent has to go to deal with whatever Eric Arik brought her. 
And what she comes into with Talia, our good friend Rowan, it's literally her body double basically playing this role of Allison's head maid. Uh, Talia comes in to help at one point, but Allison arrives and there is a serving girl who has become a victim of Aegon's and has been assaulted by him. And this is so hard. This entire conversation is... It's just very depressing that Allison has to look at what she's created out of Mm -hmm. her own pain and grief. Like, now you have to face all the shit you went through. There are no consequences to be had for Aegon's actions. Even though she wants to give him real consequences. I mean, he's what they ride on for King. They need him to be the king. How do you punish a king? And it's a classic conversation. Very chivroy, right? I believe you, but what would others think? It would be a stain for you. It would follow you around the rest of your life. And there's also something interesting about her wielding the moon tea uh, in comparison to how we leave young Rhaenyra yeah. with the moon tea after her night of debauchery. Right, and here she is wielding it herself, showing, like, it guess it's necessary. Yeah, it's it's a difficult scene, and I think they play it wonderfully. As you said, there's no consequences for Aegon's actions, right? It, it speaks to when do powerful men ever have to uh, see anything for, for the hurts that they do to people? Yeah, and you and- upholding it, you know? She's in a place where she can't stop it. How do you fix that? How do you fix that? Like, how do you actually fix that? Exactly, exactly. It, it reminds me of... A lot of it actually reminds me of um, the Harvey Weinstein stuff, right? And I recommend it's a really interesting book called is that's called She Said, which is written by the journalists who broke the case. Um... But the lead defense attorney for Harvey Weinstein was Donna Rotino, um, who calls herself the ultimate feminist, right? And and that's uh, what Allison is doing, right? She She's upholding the system, and part of it is because the power that she has, same as how Otto's gaining his power, it flows through Allison, right? Mm-hmm. Otto, uh, Allison's power is tied to both Viserys and to Aegon. That is true. And so she has to she has to put her eggs, her dragon eggs in that basket. And I mean, it it's abhorrent and that's why it's like powerful that she hugs her, right? Like I she truly does mean it when she's hugging Diana or Diana, sorry. My American accent. She truly does mean it when she's hugging Diana, right? Because there's a reflection of Allison perhaps seeing the girl that she was, right, who had no power and who who was also raped uh, because powerful men wanted that of her, right? And there's also, I think, a little bit of the aspect of, like, when, when she says, what will people think, it's in combination of what people thought of her when she wed Viserys, but also in combination of the perception. She, she really is understanding the power of public perception, uh, seeing what's going on with Rhaenyra and her children. Yeah, it does feel very unfair right now, doesn't it, to her? She's like, God, why can't your bastards just be less normal? 
Yeah, like, why are my kids the fuck-ups, right? Like, your kids, they're bastards, but look at him. Look at them. They're wonderful. They're just wonderful. And something that's interesting that my boyfriend pointed out was that when Allison gives the moon tea, right, as you said, there's a parallel with Rhaenyra being given the moon tea. So you see Allison not only just, like, upholding the system and wielding those systems of patriarchy, she's becoming that sort of a person, right, who who does these things that she thought despicable before um, and and the erosion of her values. But uh, in a way, Diana, my boyfriend pointed out, Diana should be relieved when they're giving her the moon tea because that means that they don't currently intend to kill her because um, that's what it is. But uh, there's also, I think, an aspect that I see of it in which, you know, we, we talk a lot about the tansy in A Song of Ice and Fire when Hoster Tully gives Tansy to Liza to force the abortion, right, from from Littlefinger's, I guess, seed or whatever. And um, it, Diana's bodily autonomy, right, her, her, her agency is being taken away twice. Once by being raped by Aegon and again by the Queen saying that you don't get to control what happens to your reproduction. You must take this abortifacient. Yeah, absolutely. She doesn't get a single choice. And there's something in it that echoes for Alicent not ever having a choice to have had it. The silencing. Yeah, I mean, Alicent didn't get a choice to... She didn't get a choice to not bear children. She had to, right? That's, And so she's trying to... Yeah, absolutely. Kind of burst out of that, um, trying to, you know, she's in this position where she has to run this kingdom now all of a sudden. Yeah, and run it she will because she goes on to Aegon's bedroom and gives him a good old slap. Second episode in the row that we're getting the Aegon slap. All right, Alicent. Kind of, kind of, uh. Or is it the or is third? It the third. I think, oh God, I can't keep up. This kid's out of control. It might be the third. She basically grounds him for assaulting serving women and is like, now you won't get to be king until next episode. You are grounded. God. (laughs) And then Helena, oh my God, this, when Helena walks in, she straight up is like, where's Diana? She's supposed to be helping me get the children dressed. First of all, showing us that her kids exist now, Jahira and Jaharis, at least. Um, But also that like she walks in and she's, just like where is she that's who he chose he chose the serving woman the one that is always helping them with their children disgraceful fucking disgraceful yeah it's it's absolutely disgusting and that Egan has no remorse for it he doesn't even know like what's being discussed he doesn't care he doesn't know her name and he has no yeah he has no role in the lives of his children um no longer do we have that kind of funny like that funny boy from a few episodes ago. This is what he grew up into, and it's very much like, uh, you know, we're seeing we're seeing the consequences of something like a Robert Baratheon's character, right? Like, what do you get when you have someone who takes advantage of women and does not want the throne being shoved into it? And I, I there's also like, and I'll come back to Helena in a second, but there's this line that Allison said that. I think we're we're supposed to really pay attention to, right? In terms of we've been talking about her perpetuating these cycles of how she was treated, but she's much more, I think, outward in it because she's 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 putting her frustration 
wherever she can, and she takes it out on Aegon a lot. And Aegon's not an angel. I'm not saying he like does. I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it, right? But it's still like not doing anything. But she says to him, "You are no child of mine," which reminds me a little of the the, the dynamic, I guess, between Tywin and Tyrion. Now that I think about it, absolutely. But I mean. It's kind of powerful, I guess, coming from Allison and a mother, right? It's one thing for a father to deny. Um, and But, like, Allison knows, like, you know, this this kid came out of her. Like, she was there, right? And But it's also another thing that's powerful when we have all these people, right, who are claiming, like, in contrast to the bastards, right? Like, how Laenor was like, these are my children. Yeah. You're not even proud of them. You don't even want them to be yours because they disgust you that much and they're just an extension. Yeah, I would be pretty disgusted if Aegon were my son too, right? I said if that came out of me, I just don't know what I would do either. Yeah, I will say at the very least she does not... She does not encourage it. She doesn't, like, turn a blind eye entirely to it. She There's absolutely fault in her being complicit to it, but... I, I, I am just the reason why I say that is because I read this book called The Last Girl by Nadia Murad, who is a survivor of the UCD genocide, sold into sex slavery by ISIS, and she remembers being like raped and gang raped in this one home, and the mother of the the person who's raping her like didn't care and didn't see her as a person at all and was also abusive to her. So Yeah, abuse takes many forms and anyone can be abused, you know? Exactly, you know, perpetuating, you know, like patriarchal harms and misogyny in that way. But Helena, interesting, you know, speaking of like Diana and the serving women being people, right? And we discussed, I think, last episode how those bodies get used, similarly to um, bodies being used for for covering up later's escape. But Helena actually does know the names of her serving people, which is in contrast to Aegon being like, "Who the fuck is Diana?" right? When the name is put forth. Helena pays attention to that and that shows her own kindness and caring that she she sees them as people. Yeah, I mean it's only the people that get up every day and help you somehow get through the day and deal with your fucking crying babies. Like you can have a little respect. Yeah, exactly. respect. And that she has someone to help with that, right? Like I think I wonder if Allison made sure someone was there to help Helena with that and with the the crying babies and dressing because we see Allison rush to hold Helena as well be like yeah this one is my child everyone this one is my child because it, it it also is reminiscent of the things that happened to her um, when she was forced to to become a wife to a king and then also like we remember you know those scenes where she's like how do I calm down these crying babies that now like have grown up into these this guy who sucks but oh well don't worry because those kids don't get to grow up anyways so <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Allison's stressed about all this because she's like, on today of all days! It is a very important day. Allison has to show that she's winning the breakup. Oh my god. When she's not winning the breakup. She's not. But she's yes. not. Are you winning, Allison? No. Uh, <laughs> no. No. That's actually this whole series, isn't it? Like, this, this entire one. Are you winning, son? No. Like, you could say that to Aegon throughout this entire thing. No. <laughs> Allison goes to meet up with her ex-girlfriend and her ex-girlfriend's new husband. Damon is 
pretty unhappy with how the high towers are ruling in both aesthetics, laws, pretty much everything. And he makes that pretty clear, where Rhaenyra is kind of left to be the in-between on this, right? And soften what's going between them. Yeah. And I think she does a decent job of trying to soften. We're trying to we're trying to be good here, you know, people. And there's I think, you know, we see the action of Rhaenyra hiding her scar. Um which is a great reminder of it uh, with the dagger shown in the last shot. And I, I don't remember, you might have actually said this, but now I'm like really thinking about this of like, what if the dagger slicing Rhaenyra was actually choosing her kind of like the subtle knife in the oh, historic materials. Series. I don't think I said that, but that's very interesting, especially when you have the, well, the throne on the other side, cutting them open. Yeah. Well, I guess that's my thought now. Congratulations. <laughs> Good job. I like that. Well, it does say from my blood, right? And I'm like, what do you mean by my blood? Because it can mean literally fucking anything. It's definitely about blood. It's definitely about blood. Yeah. And cheese. <laughs> Luke and Jake head to the training yard, and they're so cute. Aemon has gotten better. He can even best Kristen Cole now. And he has this great mm. line that this whole show that he put on where he just bested Kristen Cole. You'd think it would be for the crowd or for others, but it's not. It was all for his nephews because he turns with his one eye and looks straight at them and says, I don't give a shit about tourneys. Nephews, have you come to train? This boy is looking for a rematch is what he's looking for. Yes, he has got a fire in him, if you will. (laughs) Anyone feeling like they want to lose an eye today? Yeah, he's excited for that. He really is. Uh, he's like i understand him not letting it go i get that it's your entire fucking eye i wouldn't let it go either and realistically though i have to say he did such a great job this episode he was creepy he's huge that boy grew up that boy really yeah really did grow up i was like wow in front of our eyes all of a sudden episode six came episode seven came boom episode eight amond you grew it works yeah, I literally don't know where those jeans came from, right? Like, neither neither John nor Daenerys were that tall. Um, none of these other Targaryens are that tall. Where did he Where did he get that height? You know what? I've seen a lot of those memes talking about how he's, you know, really just socially aware. He's uh, very much a socialist, very Marxist, I'm hearing, <laughs> these memes about Aemond. And he's a feminist, and I'm wondering if the genes that are in him come from Magor, another feminist king. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Big and thick. So true, thick. so true. Yeah, I mean, whatever the genes are that made Magor, right? Like, he was really big. He was a big boy. So that that's still lying dormant in the Targaryen line, along with, as you said. Yeah, you know what? Maybe you're... Radical. Maybe the boys, the Valarian boys, aren't the only strong ones in the family. My god. <laughs> Yeah, that kid's big, though. I was like, very <laughs> astonished by just how, like, the presence of his actor, just the presence alone of Ewan Mitchell. He has a big presence. Like, that guy is, like, he's just a lad. A strapping lad. <laughs> yeah, he's very tall. He's very tall. I do kind of, I mean, obviously we cannot do this series with Leo Ashton. I just thought he was adorable, and so I miss him, but... I'm excited to see where... What, what is his name? Ewan? Yeah, I'm excited to see where Ewan Mitchell takes us. Uh, yeah, I've seen him in a couple yeah. things, I want to say. He was in... Um, he was in The Last Kingdom, I know, and... 
he was in a world on fire and a couple other things that people have been on about but i did see him in the last kingdom i didn't i haven't seen that so yeah i think he'll do a great job welcome to this kingdom oh my god i'm sure he'll do a great job i'm sure he'll do a great job i just uh i i just think it's as you said, right? He struck that that really great tone between like creepy and like yes, yes, very creepy, capable. Yeah. So training is cut short so- by the arrival of Vaymond Valarian, and he is actually quite opposite of Rhaenyra and Damon's entrance, escorted in by the High Towers and a handful of other Valarians with a pretty deep crew. He's rolling deep, and. The next scene that we get is Otto, Allison, and Vaymond meeting in the council room, and they are scheming. You know what they say about bitches? Bitches be scheming. <laughs> Absolutely. It's interesting that uh, Vaymond does not arrive together also with Rainies and Bela. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I'm guessing they didn't well, arrive with their dragons, because we actually see in the trailer that they're still at King's Landing. At least Rainies is. Huh. Interesting. I would take my pet with me everywhere I went, but that's just me. I guess if you have it locked in the dragon pit, does it fucking matter? I mean, that's literally half of the series of Fire and Blood, right? Like, we'll end up seeing all these people that their dragons are in the dragon pit, and they can't get to them, and one of them dies. Yeah, but they were, like, in King's Landing at that time, so I guess, yeah, do they just, do the dragons just stay in the dragon pit? That's what I, yeah, and then they're stuck. I would not. I don't like that. Granted, maybe I would feel differently if I had a dragon and was like, what do I do with this huge unwieldy creature? But I personally would not go anywhere without Aren't there parking laws about this? I mean, where's the King's Landing parking I think if you have a dragon, you decide what the parking laws are. (sighs) Yeah, but you can't just leave it out all day in public because then it'll eat people and shit everywhere. Yeah, and we haven't seen dragon poop yet. I am, now that we've seen the goopy dragon eggs, now I gotta know. Now I gotta get the poop. I gotta get the poop. (laughs) <laughs> give us a dragon poop <laughs> <laughs> uh, well so Renice and Rhaenyra speak in front of the weirwood and Rhaenyra sends Reyna first to greet to greet Renice. <sighs> I can't believe you keep saying it that way it's really gonna kill me my god. I- I'm only saying it that way here because I'm mentioning them both in the same scene. Because earlier I was saying Rhaenys and I was like, I, th- I guess it would be helpful to make it this, like, something distinct because I'm saying, I'm talking about Rhaenyra, Reyna, and Rhaenys. All in See, and that scene. all sounded so normal to me, so I don't really, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just built different. I know, I know who I'm talking about, but yeah. But I'm just like... I'm trying to be I'm trying to be helpful, you know. I know. I know. I love that we're back at the Weirwood with them. Uh, I never thought that we get a Rainy's Weirwood scene. That's really neat. Yeah, it is interesting. Very striking. Love her in this in this setting. And we have we have Rainiera swearing once more in front of the heart tree. Um but this time I do think it is I find it to be true. Yeah, I mean, from the facts presented. She did not order the death of Laner, or nor was she complicit in it. Yeah, she definitely didn't lie, which is good, in front of that tree. You can sense the awkwardness that she keeps Bela, or that, sorry, you can sense the awkwardness that Rhaenyra and Aemon keep Reyna, and that 
she keeps Bela, that there's a little bit of just a, a gap going on there. Not unlike kind of the tension with Eric and Arik that will be brought upon them in the future episodes, I'm sure, too, of having the twins be separated and having to choose sides. Obviously, if they go somewhat close to the book, Reyna will be sprung free soon to go hang out in the Vale with Mourning, and Bela will be a ferocious mm. dragon rider. However, you can just see that little bit of awkwardness going on there that Rainey's, you know, definitely hasn't gotten to see her fucking granddaughter in years. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the, they're not that far apart. Like, they could go visit, but I guess she's mad at yeah. them, understandably, yeah, cause... because she thinks they killed her son. But also, I I don't think, it, like, it makes sense to me that Reyna also does stay with, like, her father. <laughs> Yeah, she, uh, it's funny because Bela seems the daddy's girl too, you know, but I also kind of like that Bela is getting the grandma's girl treatment as a grandma's girl myself. I am a grandma's girl. And also her grandma's a fucking badass, you know, like that's, you're getting, she's getting all of the most ferocious tips and tricks from the dragon rider. She is. And I also am hoping that this means like Reyna... And her father are able to reconcile more, right? Like, and are able to, to bond more. Yeah, that's very true. I hope that uh, this has given them some good time to do that bonding. Now that you say that, because obviously she felt really isolated the last time we checked in six years ago. <laughs> a long, a long ass time ago. The la- other last thing I'll say about this scene that I really loved was that the storm that's going on throughout this entire episode. There's a storm in the background. We see it. Yes. However, it's happen. It starts thundering behind Rainey's as she's speaking to Rhaenyra, and the whole time I was like, "Oh shit, Baratheon is fuck. Hers is the Fury. Bring the fucking storm, Storm Queen Rainey's." Oh. Yeah, it was really going behind her. You could just hear the rumbling of thunder, and I got really excited. Interesting, because like for me, the rumbling of the storm, I didn't notice it behind Rainey's. Um. But the rumbling of the storm was interesting because, and, and to bring us into the next scene, right, the thundering and stuff as, as uh, Rhaenyra talks about, like, wanting help, defending, like, her legacy and, and her children, etc. It reminds me of how very, very soon, probably the end of this, uh, this season, I, I assume, right, the thundering and the storm playing a big role in Luke dying. Yeah, Storm's End is going to be a very, very dangerous scene if they pull that off this year. And it it makes me think of that a bit, too. The storm that's beginning. And masterclass, just masterclass. When you go back and rewatch it, pay attention, because you'll hear it behind Rainey's. It just starts to begin. But by the time that Rhaenyra gets here to her father's bedside, it's full-blown. Yeah, full drama. They did full drama this episode, and I'm here for it. Rhaenyra tells her father, By naming me heir... You divided the realm. I thought I wanted it, but the burden is a heavy one. It's too heavy. She asks him to defend her and her children the next day at court, basically. And she prays and hopes it's a possibility. It's her last-ditch effort. Much smarter, right, than Damon's tact. She has a little more tact than Damon did on this one. Yeah. It, there's more tact. And I, it's hard to like figure out like how I read it. Like, is it... I do think there is a genuine, like, feeling there, right? Like, obviously she's having a hard time. Obviously, like, she's been hurt by the things going on at court, etc. That's why she retreated to Dragonstone in the first place, right? She wanted a safer environment for her children to grow up in. 
but you know like did she want it did she not this is something we discussed a lot in the previous episodes right and part of her does part of her doesn't and and like her pleas for her father to help is it a again like is it is it like where the love there like it, it's difficult to you know it's a complex scene again yeah and i mean he speaks about it and also some of the showrunners and the writers and different people involved have spoken about it that viserys absolutely doesn't treat his other children right they're assholes i get that yeah they're little fuckers but except for yeah, one except for the one she's perfect but he doesn't love them he doesn't give them the same care he loved emma and i do think there's some merit that like she obviously every slow-mo shot of rhaenyra in this entire episode is like emma 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 looks just like her the light shining on her looks just like her they look very similar casting department did their goddamn jobs congratulations you fuckers you rock you're so good i agree with that i agree and even like when she comes to plea with to viserys right her hair is down and it she looks like emma with her hair down like that when it's not in braids and as for how he treats his other kids, like it, it's hard. Like is Rhaenyra just like manipulating her father here? I don't. I don't think so. I, I, I do and I don't because at the same time I understand as a child you go to your parents and if you have a good enough relationship with them and you trust them in that way and you're like, help me, please help me. Yeah. Right. I I sometimes will be like, mother, I'm having a hard time with this thing emotionally. I'll be like, help me, and you know, uh. Like, the other day, I was, like, very frustrated about something, and I, like, went to her room first, and then, like, because I'm at my mother's as a, we record this specific episode, and, like, I made her hold me, (laughs) and, uh, while I cried, um, but, yeah, like, and, and also, like, he doesn't treat his other kids, he doesn't, I don't even know if he knows his other kids' names other than to yell at them, like, he literally called Rhaenyra his only child, and I was like, bro, (laughs) bro, come on come on you literally have other kids and like later at the dinner he's like i love everyone here i'm like i don't think that i don't think you even know who they are lucille (laughs) blues i'm like i don't think that's true of you but okay sure sure viserys if you want to die with all these lies we'll just let you die with all these lies (laughs) yeah again Uh, too little too late the whole episode right he finally gets to wake up but it's only for one day Ah, if only I had woken up, like, two weeks earlier. I'm telling you, think of everything he could have gotten done. He has a checkup with the Maesters. My only child. Otto attends the checkup, and Viserys tells him to plan a supper between the families, and Otto tries to give him more milk of the poppy, and Viserys declines it and says, just plan the fucking dinner, Otto. (sighs) Yeah. It was great. It was great. Just plan the dinner plan the goddamn supper it was it was great he's all like dude it's morning and i can understand why you know there's uh, we're starting to see miscommunications from the beginning right we're starting to see how viserys's words aren't being understood by the high towers well not even that i would even argue that otto kind of tried to manipulate him a little or not even manipulate sorry that's the wrong term i would argue that otto deliberately misunderstood him and that's how Otto has been deliberately misunderstanding him for the last six years in order to manipulate and exploit the things that he asks him to do versus the things Otto wants to do. Like, Otto immediately, the first Uh, response he says to him 
which is probably understandable if a series has been drugged up for six years and doesn't always make sense because Otto continues to hand him milk of the poppy. But like Otto says, when he says, I'd like to have a supper, he goes, well, it's morning. You can't have supper, you silly fucker. It's morning. Immediately is the first tone he tries to take with them. And Viserys is like, I fucking know it's morning. I wasn't finished with my sentence is basically the gist. Uh, It's hard because I remember when my grandpa was kind of in his decline, he would get angry. I mean, I get angry over little things when I have misunderstandings of people like that are related to the limitations of my body and my intelligence. Like I get it. It's easy to get snippy. But like my grandpa would get snippy when he was misunderstood because it's like I'm finally trying to fucking say something and none of you are listening to what I'm saying. So I found that interesting of that moment between them in this scene. Yeah, I think a lot of people have part of what resonates with this episode and why so many people found it powerful is having experiences like that, right? With loved ones um, who are in pain, who are older and it's what you said regarding Otto, like, and him getting snippy because he's like, I'm finally, like, trying to do something. But it's also, like, when you're in that amount of pain, you don't use that many words because it is painful mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's trying to keep the amount that he has to speak to a minimum because every word hurts. And that's why it matters, right? And uh it, it is kind of gross how Otto is infantilizing him in that way and as, acting like he doesn't. You're like, oh, Viserys, you don't know what's going on. You're just so drugged up. But um, it, it's also kind of, go ahead. Over the last six years, this is probably how they've been treating him. And he's become kind of an accessory, a movable object of power, something they place around the building when it suits yeah. them. Um, and they get used to treating him that way. That's very apparent, right? Like they, there's something about autonomy, like you brought up with Diana, this is similar with Viserys. Suddenly, he's kind of speaking like he wants to be in charge of his own body. And they're like, what? What? Absolutely. And I think at the very least, when Alicent gives him milk of the poppy, it is because she is concerned about his pain as opposed to Otto. Um, because it is it is a hard thing to balance. Like, when you see someone that you care about in pain, you don't want them to be in pain um and that was like something that i had to balance like recently and you know something that i wrestle with is did i make the wrong call in giving too little or like using too weak of a painkiller um because of my own like other experiences with other um seeing the effects of other harder opiates right and wanting to make sure that my grandmother was still like here mentally but maybe like that didn't even matter anymore if because I mean, maybe it didn't matter. Maybe what mattered more was making sure that she was comfortable. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a difficult thing to, to determine. Well, and like quality of life, right? How do you know oh. how do you know how somebody wants to live the remainder of their life and quality of life, right? And what like what constitutes yeah. as living? Viserys in a fucking hallucination coma for six years because of milk of the poppy is that living yeah um yeah and like what this decline was like how fast was it right did it did it even decline even more because he was drugged up and therefore 
some of those sores, I don't know that all of them are like, a, I think we've been told somewhere from someone that it's leprosy, but like, are those, I don't know that all of those sores are from that. Some of them like are likely bed sores from not moving enough, right? Like it, you keep someone still like that and, and you're not always able to clean it right away and all those things, especially with like the high, hi, however hygiene yeah. was at that time, like... We see that they don't have the best maesters, like that Rhaenyra has the more advanced maesters in Fire and Blood. Yes, Gerardus, who we meet this episode finally and see at the end of last episode at the wedding. And not just that, but like, also, I mean, it's not something you can fix, but like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem... For them, it's obvious that they're using him as a prop in that way and keeping him alive and preserving him, not unlike Eamon at the wall, right? Maester Eamon in the cold uh, reminds me of that, that yeah. they're like hanging on to him because there's this very obvious feeling in this episode that once this man, especially in the throne room scene coming up here, uh, once he's gone, the dance begins, as we know, but also all of their power hinges on him. Every single one of their power and position hinges on that man. So it's so important for all of them to keep him alive as long as they can, whether he's actually doing things or not. <sighs> yeah. Well, <sighs> how about Otto holding court? <laughs> Ugh. Go away. I know. <laughs> Ugh, why is he? Uh, he's just like so smug he's on that really smug. You know, like, when we go chop chop on him, I'm not going to feel that bad. Yeah, apparently uh, he's uh, Riz Evans. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm sorry if I'm not. But apparently he's very funny. He's the oh yeah, absolutely, on absolutely on set. I've heard. Yeah, but ugh, I, ugh, Otto Hightower. Ugh, sorry. So then he's like, mm, Bayman, give his, your petition," and then Rhaenyra interrupts uh, Bayman's petition, um, and then Allison is like, "You, you will get your turn." Right, and then Feynman continues, and the high towers are feeling like, "All right, we did it. We landed a home run." Especially as like Rhaenyra has to like sulkingly like move over into the middle to go like give her own petition, but then she's interrupted by her father. Yeah, he drags himself out across the court, up to his chair, gets down. Yeah, you know, Otto, get out. That's right. You didn't think he'd do it, but he did. He dragged himself in for his number one girl. Damon then... His only, his child. only child. Oh my god, <laughs> it's so cruel. <sighs> it's so mean. Damon helps him when he stumbles and his crown falls, which is very sweet because he thinks it's about to be one of the Cargyles, and he's like, go away. And then he's like, oh, my brother, Uwu. Uh, also, a little bit of a parallel to Rhaenyra in episode six, right, with Joffrey with uh, carrying baby Joffrey out to see Alicent, that it's so important yeah. that they see that he can do it all on his own. That is so important that, like, he cannot look weak in front of these people. Yeah. It it also reminds me a little of, uh, speaking of callbacks, Damon crowning Viserys, right? The, this, Damon just wanted to be there and support his brother's rule a lot of that time and, and crowning him, like, in King of the Narrow Sea, that episode. Yeah. And... Uh. Something something else that it kind of just made me think of and reminded me is, uh, so when Jesus is walking with the cross, he stumbles a few times on the way to Golgotha, Simon of Cyrene comes in and helps carry the cross. So 
Also makes me think a little of that, too. Yeah, that's great because it's actually very much uh, the the supper is literally the last supper. Like they did actually try to yes. try to stage it that way. They said so. That's great to view him as Jesus in this. Yeah. And not only that, but then there's that moment when Viserys thinks that Damon has defiled Rhaenyra, and he kind of is losing it, and he's like, "Did you want my daughter, or did you want my crown?" And he attacks him in the throne room on the floor. This is the opposite of it, right? Like, this is what he wanted. He didn't need your crown. He just needed his brother. He just wanted... I mean, this is what he wanted. They could have had this family. Yeah. But he did also want his niece. He, he wanted he wanted not the crown, but he did want his brother's love. And his niece's uh, definitely love, I guess. <laughs> Viserys does something really interesting in how he handles this. First of all, he says, we are discussing something that was already decided. Okay, first of all, jot that one down. But sure, we can waste resources and time and redecide it. Then, instead of using Rhaenyra's or Veyman's claim, he kicks it to Rhaenys, who says that her husband wanted Driftmark to pass through Laner to his trueborn son, Lucerys. And then she unravels what Rhaenyra and her agreed upon in the Weirwood, that Bela and Reyna will marry Luke and Jace, and that she completely and unequivocally has always supported this, which is so powerful because, like we mentioned, she doesn't support this. But she sees this as her surefire safe way in this war. And it's just such a clever way of showing Rainies as a player and what she's choosing for her family and that she's making these hard decisions, especially without Corlys there. She's not running any of this by him. She's making the decisions and ruling as the lady of the house and deciding the fate of her family. Yeah, she's deciding that, um, you know, keeping the peace is the best way to keep them safe. As opposed to if, you know, letting a war happen, which, as we find out, wars do not keep people safe. Wow. Shocker. But um, as you pointed out, right, it is interesting that he kicks it to Rainey's because that Rainey's and Rainey's speaking for her husband's wishes holds a lot of weight when it'll be, I guess, Alicent, right, who as Viserys' wife, her opinion on succession will be the one that holds a lot of weight. That's so true. It's her word. And I think that's really what's being framed for Alicent, right? That it's going to be her word. Yes. It's also... No, go ahead. I had a different thought. I also like this little detail. I, as we saw last episode, right? Bela and Reyna get along quite well with Jace and Luke. Uh, you know, they, they wake up Luke... No, they wake up Jace when Amond is... Stealing the dragon and Bela also like holds Jace's hand for comfort. And so I, I kind of like there's like this look that's exchanged from from them to from these like two little Targaryen girls over to the Valerian boys when they when their uh, betrothal is announced like, like, isn't this great? They're very cute. They're so cute. There's a fondness. Vaymond doesn't think this is that cute, though. Vaymond is like... Vain and is like this is no meat cute for me he booms and says that is no true Valarian and no nephew of mine add that one to your theme book right there no son of mine no nephew of mine are we Ty winning Vaymond uh Vaymond 
<laughs> runs it up by calling the boys bastards. And then he adds another charge up there and he calls Rhaenyra a whore, which Damon was waiting for. And off goes his head. Yeah. So Viserys was ready to do it himself, I guess, using the dagger, which is interesting. And I liked the behind the scenes yes. talks with Will Johnson, the actor for for Vaymond Valerian and as well as the showrunners, they gave great insight into how they basically envisioned a- how they basically envisioned Vaymond as like you know you're not wrong you're just an asshole more or less like that's basically how they described him and how Vaymond has cluelessly stepped into deeper shit than he knew right he's just only out here for for trying to look out for his own interests and doesn't realize that there are as as the showrunners described deep feelings uh, amongst many of the people here that this is a very touchy issue for multiple reasons like it's a, it's a issue of treason right it's not just about your house Feynman. it's about the throne and it's very cute also later on that like Johnson adds that oh but Damon he he killed me from the back he didn't have it in him to come at me from the front <laughs> that was, was so cute. cute i loved that he he was funny he cracked me up he went out he yeah. went out like a good one yeah, he was, he was there's fun. a there's something so great about damon slicing his head off and like the guards all coming in and being like disarm him and him immediately putting his hands up he's like i'm good i'm done that's all i wanted to do it's all he's dead now don't worry you guys how viserys was standing uh like you said him doing anything probably hurts right now Right. And so he was literally standing. He had pulled the dagger and he was going to take his tongue out himself. He was that mad. And Damon was like, I've got it, bro. Don't worry. And Damon took care of it. But I found that interesting. And that Damon was like, why don't we just get rid of the problem instead of playing games, brother? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I guess it's Rhaenyra who gives the order in Fire and Blood. And I guess some people don't. Like that has changed. Uh, I don't think I don't know that, that they feel that it softens Rhaenyra's character, but I think a lot of people have been softened. Don't so. worry, there are so many war crimes to come, you guys. I don't. I think you should just settle down. There are so many war crimes to come. <laughs> You're gonna get her. Don't worry. Don't worry. You are gonna be able to put her in the fictional prison that you have made in your brain for her, so no one get upset. It's my PSA. So. <laughs> so yeah damon's also like all right everyone chill out chill out because he drew out his sword this happens to yeah me. all the time all the time uh, <laughs> i realized this is this is not the first time this has happened anyway um so something else that is in the books that we don't see here that i do think is interesting is no word of Vaman's children right in regards to the claim especially because from one of those children they they do end up having their tongues torn out yeah the silent five if i'm not mistaken it's five or it's him, Damon, Darian, and there's two more. Yeah. But they're from one of them, I'm sorry I don't remember which one anymore specifically, comes Dayanara, who ends up wedding Rhaenyra's son, Aegon the Third. Sorry, one of them is Malentine, I wanna say, and the other is Rogar. What an interesting one. Yeah, name. it is an interesting one. And so <laughs> in Fire and Blood, um, there are six nephews that are pretty pissed, and Vaymon Valerian is the eldest. So he's the one that gets beheaded, and the other five cousins that came along, they all came to King's Landing. His wife and his two sons also came. 
So they cut that, which is fine. It's not a big deal. Um, I, I do wonder how they're going to, they're just going to soft reintroduce it. Say it was a, what, Vayman's daughter. That would be funny. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I will say off screen while we didn't see it, Cyrax is now slightly less hungry. Cyrax is, but I guess they're letting her starve here. Uh, All women are queens, Vaymond. Yeah, he doesn't seem to realize that. Like, God. Something else that I liked in the scene as it closes out, right, as we leave this throne room is... You were talking about how Viserys is probably like in a lot of pain, even just sitting here. Uh, and, and we see that, right? He, he ends up starting to like kind of slump over. And I love uh, the detail of Alicent rushing over to help him. Like she does care about him. She does care about Viserys. And now she says, oh my, she's, she calls him like my love. And like, uh, I don't know that she like feels that way. She doesn't, she doesn't, right? Like, I mean, she's been with him long enough that she, I think, has forced herself to feel like care and love for him because she kind of had to, to survive. But, and then as Viserys is taken away, you know, we never really saw, we saw that, like, in promotional shots, the, the, the shot of both Rhaenyra and Alicent looking in the same direction. We didn't know the context for it, but now I kind of like it. They are aligned in this, and they're, they're concerned for Viserys, that they're looking the same way. Yeah. And that's uh, where, where Rhaenyra really sees uh, how Alicent has been caring for her father. Rhaenyra's father, not Otto. Right, right, not Otto. But this is, like, such a turning point for Rhaenyra to realize, like, oh, Alicent does care about him, and she's not lying that he's weak and dying. Like, she's not lying to me. And she, I think she does feel for that. She ta- and there is something about, like, after having watched some of my grandparents pass away and knowing that, like, my mom is probably the primary caretaker for my other two remaining grandparents as they go in the near future like it's sad because you have siblings that in a way like Allison's obviously his wife but in a way she's taken on something that like his whole family just left him there to rot and obviously it was an uncomfortable situation but Allison has been doing the brunt of it besides obviously the serving people <laughs> obviously but yeah. She's definitely yeah. doing the brunt of it and taking a lot of that emotional weight all on her own. And it does remind me of my parents, you know, helping my dad's side of the family with eight fucking siblings. And he's the one kid that's actually doing something about planning the funerals and planning the estate stuff and this, this, this. There's a dark resentment that builds under that when you're the one doing that and no one else is helping you. And there's also a shame and a guilt when you're Absolutely. the other one not doing it, I think. I, I agree. I agree. You spot on everything that you said. They really nailed a lot of that in this episode, I think. this. I mean, this entire episode is Westerosi hospice, is what it is, and it's very depressing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they do lean into the whole soap opera thing, and I don't think that's a bad thing. We'll talk about it in a sec, but... Mm-mm. Yeah, I, speaking of the drama, you know, like, we have then the shot of Rainey's watching as the Maesters and the Silent Sisters work on Vaymond's body, and Orwal tells her that it's ill luck to watch the dead and that she should let them work. She says that the stranger has visited me more times than I can count, Grand Maester. I assure you, he cares very little whether my eyes are open or closed. Ah, uh, she doesn't deserve that. She does not deserve that. It's so sad. She's lost them both and then she has to what lose him again when his dragon screams someday and then she has to lose everyone else she loves god fuck <sighs> in her own life and it's been happening forever and it doesn't end until her life ends yeah god 
And and for this one, I think it's particularly like for all of them, right? Does she wonder about her complicitness yes. in shepherding these people to the to their deaths, right? Between their two families, because she she is in between the two worlds, right? She is a Targaryen as well as a Valerian, even though they're basically kind of the same. Um, with how many times they've all intermarried, but but it pushes it it pushes her to the edge because like she owns the sea right now. And it, they will have to make a choice. Yeah. Like, you can't not make a choice about this. And as we see, like, Vaymond going to the green side would have been over. If they if Vaymond had won today, that war when Viserys dies that happens would have been over. Just over. Yeah. It, it's such a crucial, like, and strategic uh, seat, Driftmark. But, yeah, you see Rainey's kind of haunted of, like, the choices that she's making in service of this other family and like uh, uh, what it's taking from then her other family. <laughs> in preserving what your husband wants, you're also kind of destroying his line. And we don't even get to the part of like the principal aspect, right? She doesn't particularly like Rhaenyra. She doesn't necessarily support Rhaenyra at all, right? But they can reach understandings as people who have been and are in similar positions, right? When it comes to the entire concept of women being able to inherit the throne. Yeah. I mean, her husband's also wrong. It's a great point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Her husband is wrong. <laughs> you know, like, Corley's is wrong, right? And she's like, but here she is kind of going with his wishes. I mean, that happens to the best and the worst of husbands being wrong. <laughs> uh, All right. Let's go to family dinner. Well, let's just... Let's just open up a fucking brilliantly dysfunctional family dinner. Allison says a prayer at the top. And David is like looking around. He's looking around at everyone like, what the fuck is happening here? We're saying prayers now. We never used to say prayer before dinner time. And Viserys then does a face reveal. He's like, because you're all my family and I hate you. I'm going to show you my real face. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, he's missing an eye. It's rotting. Um, and I mean, one of his sons, whether or not he remembers he has a son, is also missing an eye. And there's this great tweet that I saw earlier today. Oh, is it the one about the from, eye and the sitting? Yeah, like which side people are sitting on. From MXBug slash InkBugFic is the at InkBugFic is the, the handle. It says Viserys' face rotting away to the bone on the side where the high towers sit and his good eye on the side where Rhaenyra and Daemon and their family sit. Delicious symbolism. Ooh, I, I, yeah, I didn't catch that in the moment. I almost missed a couple things actually during this scene because it was just so good, including the pig. I almost missed the pig. Yeah. But, um... Oh, yeah. I, do, do, I, noticed, do. I don't yeah. know what I was doing. I always noticed. <laughs> I always notice. Oh god, pig. it was delicious looking. Actually, there's a lot been a lot of roast pigs now that I think about it because there was that roast pig, the two headed roast pig at yes, the beginning for Egan uh, too. at Egan the Conqueror Babe's birthday party. Uh, like I said, I, I always notice roast pig suckling. Um, they're delicious, <laughs> but yeah. So Viserys, this is this is not important, but I it's important to me. Viserys makes a joke about how. Uh, his face is no longer handsome, and maybe he never was. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the attractiveness of a lot of the cast outside of their roles in House of the Dragon. Um, and for obvious reasons, Olivia Cook, Emma Darcy, and 
Matt Smith get a lot of attention, but I do, I just want to cast some light on Patty Considine. I think he's a little slept on. You know, you look at him in his interviews, like smiling and in his cool leather jacket, and I'm like, okay, Patty, I see you. He is handsome, especially without that wig, truly. I'm like, they should have gone shorter hair, but I see why they didn't, because they wanted to make sure he could look gruesome. Uh, but very handsome, very handsome. I I think everyone looks better without the Targaryen wig, except for like, I don't know, I guess the female presenting actors all look great with Targaryen wigs usually, but I just don't think the men always look great. I'm sorry, dudes. Yeah. I've, everyone is toasting one another at this meal, and it's like, it's really sad because it's hopeful at first. Like, you're like, oh, there's a little hope between all of us. Rhaenyra toasts Alicent because she's had to lay next to a corpse for a decade. Alicent toasts her back. Everything is feeling really chummy. Yeah, I think this scene shows that Rhaenyra can be courteous when she wants to and knows how to lay aside pride for peace at times. Not always. Um, or to get what she wants. But also, I thought, you know, in Fire and Blood, they say that they have a couple of these dinners, right? Um and some of them are called out where they say, you know, everyone must smiles, but it was all just for show for Viserys who couldn't see it. But what I like about this dinner is there is, I think, actually for a moment, there is absolutely genuine feeling and affection behind a lot of these words. I think it all came out very good faith. Like all the speeches up till the kids were great. They were good speeches. And also the fact that everybody was being kind of like, Everybody was being told to be honest and kind. It actually did help in the moment, but the scarring and the hurt goes too deep. Yeah. As Rhaenyra's <sighs> arm shows us. Actually, though, and, and even as a- Aemon's eye shows us, right? Like, that's still there. That's still, like, a sign of, you know, how, how much can you truly fix things, especially when the children haven't been encouraged to. Jace tries to for, like, a split second, but it's like, as I sh- talked about in the behind the scenes, which, which I I thought the behind the scenes for this one was really good. Like, uh, the parents see and the adults here, like, really see, you know, how deep this goes. But also they have that history that makes them want to try to fix things, especially between Alison and Rhaenyra, right? They have, they had a genuine love of and friendship and the children don't have that. They've only been taught how to dislike one another well and not only that but they don't have any of the skills to clear the air with one another and they've been actively discouraged to because i mean the valarian boys were literally whisked away back to dragonstone this is their first time back and jace definitely has a ton of anger and resentment built uh agen goads him this entire dinner agen is saying gross asshole things to goad Jace kind of into into doing something in anger. And literally, Jace gets so mad that he actually stands up in anger and then he gets fucked into making a speech. And it's the funniest thing ever. He's like, damn it, now I'm standing because I'm mad. And Eamon is standing at the same time. He's like, is this it? Is this it? Are we going to fight? And Jace is like, no, here's a really great speech about how we could yet be friends and allies, uncles. And... It's just, like, really cleverly done with that Rob Stark anger boiling up in him that he, like, stands up and he's fucked into making a speech. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, now that you talk about that goading, because is that something they learned from Kristen or something? Or, like, that they saw happen mm-hmm. in front of them? Because Harwin was the one who was goaded, and that's what gave it away for everyone. Yeah, the same thing happens, honestly, earlier with Vaymond, right? Uh, saying bastard, that's same true. way that Kristen did, say it 
say it. I dare you to say it. And he says it. Um, but that goading, I mean, they do get, have a hot temper. Their temper already runs hot because of their Targaryen blood, of sure. But Harwin definitely had some hot blood in there. Um, they're easily, easily, I mean, this is also something he's Got super, even hotter. Mm. No, I was talking about him dying. It's not nice. But, you know. But, I mean, medium rare? Medium? <laughs> I mean, he's already super tense and he's well super done. anxious because they're in King's Landing where everybody and their brother is calling them bastards and staring at them all the time. He's on edge and Aegon knew how to push him over. Yes. Aegon's really good at being a little shit like yeah. that. Now- my personal favorite part of all of this is Helena. We get another Helena prophecy, which I'm not sure how I feel. There's a couple obvious answers, and I'd love to hear what everyone at home has to say. I've read a few different tweets and different posts and lots of people saying what they think, but Helena murmurs before giving her own speech. Bless her soul. She says, beware the beast beneath the boards before toasting Bela and Reyna for their new marriages. I don't know. Is the beast beneath the boards blood and cheese? Is it some sort of dragon thing? Is it... What do you think? I don't know. I was hoping you would have answers. That's why I came... I was like, Chloe will know. Some people say it could even be Lyris Strong. Um, I don't know. There aren't really boards in King's Landing. It's stone. So it's just curious to me because it kind of like references floorboards of some kind of whatever. So it makes you wonder, like, is it actually somewhere else, like Driftmark, or a boat, or... I don't know. I don't know. Or or is she speaking in figurative language again, right? Because her previous prophecy was hand turns mm-hmm. loom, spool of black, spool of green. And that's very figurative. Beware the beast beneath the boards. So, could the board be something else? Right. Hmm... I need to resonate on it longer than 24 I hours, I think, is my whole thing. I think this one is going to be chalked up. Maybe next week we figure it out just in time. Mm, I'm still thinking. Yeah, we will, we'll be back with speculation on that. I don't know. Blood and cheese feels too easy. It just feels too easy. But a lot of the other ones were pretty easy. That's true, know? too. And we might not know for a while is the other thing, even if it's a direct. That's true. So her speech to Bela and Reyna, I love. It is, she's just this great character that is honest. And, you know, interestingly enough, I know a lot of people are saying, like, they wonder if she's on the spectrum a little bit, which they saw a lot of my friends were talking about how they actually saw parts of themselves in her. So honest. She says, I would like to toast to Bela and Reyna. They'll be married soon. It isn't so bad. Mostly he just ignores you, except sometimes when he's drunk. Damn. Dang. She read him like that in front of everybody. Yeah, I'm like, uh, well, I really hope the the, the other marriages are not like that, but um, it, it is reminiscent of Cersei and Robert's dynamic. Oh, yeah. Viserys calls for music, and Jace excuses himself with, to his betrothed, um, and then offers his hand to Helena to dance with her. And Aemond and Aegon are both like, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck, watching this. Bale is a confident woman, and she's, I think she's kind of, if I were her, I would be proud. I'd be like, I'm glad to see, like, my betrothed being nice to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm here for, for Bale and Jace uh, for as long as it lasts. <laughs> which Season is, two? Uh, not, not very long, 
but I support that. But I also like this scene and it shows us that, well, like, yeah, Jason Helena also would have been a good idea. Way better for Helena than Aegon. Yeah, that music is heart-wrenching during this. I don't know if the, the sweeping of the strings and the dancing, if that got you emotional, like it got me, but I was just sitting there like, oh man, yeah. this is all what could have been. You could have had your happy family sewn together. It, even with the Greens, even with Alicent and them, even with Otto, fuck. We could have killed Otto by now, but uh, you could have had your happy family had you just had your eyes been open. Yeah, I agree. He could have had it both had his eyes been open and had he just, you know, been stricter and also like, it's, as you said, the music is beautiful and the way that they direct it Mm -hmm. to like those like slow scenes. And then for one second, you see like this joy on Viserys' face. And then the next he's like fallen because the, the, the pain is taking him again, but like that joy and like, I don't know, it fucking, fucking kills me, man. Yeah. It was so horrible. The, the light in the shadow is beautifully done though. Like, because you move between the light of him and then it revolves and you see them dancing, but then you also see the rest of the family and you already know what's going to happen. The second he goes to bed and he gets carried off to bed, which is when the real party begins. And Aemond gives his own speech and he says strong like 85 times and the boys start to fight yeah because again they weren't taught like that it could be better like i do think it was a genuine happiness for many of them for that for those brief moments and i also like dang damon you god damn it dang amen so you didn't have the guts (laughs) to say it when dad was around okay yeah he sure didn't and you can see that like Alicent immediately is like, bro, we just got somewhere. We just got somewhere. We were having a breakthrough with our families. How stupid are you? Even she's upset with him. And yeah, she's like, I was going to win my girlfriend back. <laughs> I was about to really have it all. Uh, Aemond is a tall motherfucker, so it's not even a fair fight. Like, I, I must say, Jace is a shorty. I did not know how much Jace was a shorty until you put Aemond next to him. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah. The kids get sent to bed, right? Like, neither of them are happy with the behavior from the children. Uncle Damon is watching Aemond, though, and he's like, damn, my mere presence has done this to this poor boy. He wants to be just like me. Oh, God. Yeah. Jace is, uh, Jace is from the same J- Jon Snow stock. My God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I get it now. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. Maybe someone else is... The pair... There are, as everyone knows, many parallels between Aemond and Damon. But Aemond kills his nephew, just like Damon kills his nephew. Oh my god. Nephew killers. Kinslayers. Yeah, on dragons, nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, let me just say, the pig was an unnecessary move. I don't even think that, like, they asked for it. That just happened to happen. I don't know. He seemed pretty pissed and Joffrey... Or Joffrey and Jace and Luke all seem pretty laughy about it. I seem like a little bully. I don't think they ordered the pig, but I think they they <laughs> bartender about it and that sent them off. We'll have the pig. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm just projecting because I would have ordered a pig. Yeah, regardless. I know you would have. I know. <laughs> I'm like hell yeah. Um, fun fact: I literally just got a text from one of my good friends, uh, and it just says Viserys crying oh, no. emoji, <laughs> sobbing emoji. I wanted to bring in part of this interview from EW with with our director, where 
They asked, how sincere were those toasts for Alicent and Rhaenyra? Mm. She said that they were sincere, but they were still themselves. The goal was to get to that scene and understand how lonely each of them was and how they both missed each other in some way. Ryan and Miguel and I talked for a year about how we've got to earn that moment. The idea was that it would feel we would feel it coming earlier in the throne room when they both see Viserys is vulnerable. Rhaenyra realizes Alicent wasn't lying to her, and she was telling the truth that Viserys was suffering and Alicent really loved him. So you've got this father on his deathbed and fighting daughters of his sitting on either side of him to mourn him, and somehow the chemistry comes together. It was hard because they never actually say the toast to one another. They had to somehow do it in between the lines of them saying hurtful things. It was one of the most challenging things I've been a part of as a director. Mm. I think I think they did it. I think they did it really well. And part of it is because the actors have great chemistry yeah. together. Oh, yeah. Emma but. and Olivia are on fire. I mean, I like Emma and Matt's chemistry. I think their chemistry is fine as far as Damon and Rhaenyra go. It's good. It does it for me. It's fine. I don't need to watch more. Uh, like, you know, I don't need more than what they're giving me. They're doing great. But Alicent and Rhaenyra's chemistry? I mean, my god. That is... Yeah, them stealing glances at one another and just like a... Is this possible yeah, again? Absolutely. It's very much that. You can see that they're like, what if? What if? There's a chance is what this knight said to them. And Rhaenyra tells Alicent, oh, well, I guess we should go home. Like, maybe this was a bad idea. And Alicent's like, but you only just arrived. And so Rhaenyra promises that she'd see the children home and then return on dragon back. And Alicent says, your father and I would love that. Uh, yeah. And what she means is I would love that. They're, they're finally really seeing each other as for who they are now all these years. And I love how Alicent, like, rushes over and you see Otto as someone else is like, oh my god, not again. But, like, Alicent, like, rushes over, grabs Rhaenyra's arm, her other hand, right, and and strokes that arm. Um, like, they're, she's, like, th really stroking it, you know, with her thumb. It's a very intimate gesture. And Rhaenyra reciprocates that same gesture. It's so... It, it, it's, it was real, you know? Um, though I do wonder, like, is the I will return home on Dragonback, is that a threat? But also not. But also, like, it's the fastest way, which makes sense. But Rhaenyra, I think, is being a good mother by shepherding her children home. I feel like it's both, too, right? Like, I feel like it can be and probably yeah. is both. Because for her, that is somewhat of a threat. Like, I could come back, but I will be bringing my dragon. But also, it's vulnerability because it's also the opposite, like we said. So she shows up locks her dragon up in the dragon pit, and then it's just her. A, she's keeping her children safe, obviously. She doesn't want them to get King's Landing, as so happens to children there. But, uh, you know, go, get, take them hostage. Not gonna happen to her. Yeah, it's like putting you into a position as the heir, as well, that you could easily be jailed. Yes, absolutely. A vulnerability, and because she does. She does want to be there to spend time... With her father time. in those last yeah. moments, you know, and that makes that's so that's real. It makes sense, and she's it's important to her. And and then yeah, I think that's again like it was real from Allison, and there was a lot of I think hope there. She's been so alone all these years. Like finally, like a breath of like a friendship again. Like Missaria's back, and she's wearing a Damon cosplay this week. She's wearing her Kermit hood. 
I think everyone gets one. Once you get to a certain level of intrigue in this show, you just get a Damon hood. Uh, so she's equipped her Damon hood, and Talia has also equipped her Damon hood and is in her employ. Yes. What a reveal. What a reveal. Nothing deeper than that, I but know. I can't wait to see kind of what from the books becomes Miss Arya's now? Question mark? Yeah, I don't understand where we're going with Miss Arya. Me either. I'm going to be real. I don't understand the vision yet, but. I I'm trust waiting. the painters, you know? Yeah. They, yeah, they've taken us this far. That's true. They've done a great job thus far. I do so. think we might see her start to pull some of the darker things that might have been attributed to both Damon and Rhaenyra in text and make those her acts, right? Like, who knows what sort of involvement mm. she'll have in Blood and Cheese or who knows what sort of involvement she'll have in other things. But she's definitely going to be a conduit for some of these things to happen. Yeah, but then we go from that to, I mean, part of the heart of the episode, right? Part of it was that family dinner. This is the other one of Viserys' last moments. He mistakes Alicent for Rhaenyra and tells her a half-assed, milk of the poppy, exhausted version of the prophecy that Alicent believes is about her son. And then he takes his last breath. Another part of this EW interview, it was a great interview, where they interviewed the director, they asked kind of the meaning about this scene of did Alicent deliberately misunderstand what the king meant when he was talking about Aegon's ice and fire prophecy or is she embracing it because it's what she wants to hear or does she think he's delirious and that he thinks he made a total mistake and wants her son as heir and the director said it's interesting you say that because that was my fear going in the intention was that she genuinely thought he was telling her her son was going to be the heir the only way to get even close to achieving that was to feed onto that vulnerability and innocence in Allison. We had to get less of the conniving and more of the girl that you grew up with in episode one. The fact you were even confused makes me feel good because I like that it was a high bar for us coming out of Miguel's episode seven when she was last seen hanging out with Larry's. The joke is I had called Miguel and I was like, can you please do something at the end of your episode to help me a bit with Alicent? And he had said, nope, you're on your own. Which is great because he does. He leaves off, basically, with Larry's being like, haha, sorry, but you just committed this awful, horrible thing, Alicent. And kind of puts her into that position where she's desperate and alone and isolated and this episode shows that she finally found a friend in those six years of isolation that isn't, question mark, somebody that's going to ruin her life, question mark, question mark, question mark, isn't. Yeah. She just wants, uh, they both just want to ruin each other in different ways. And now uh, that she knows, like, what do you do with that? Like, I mean, what do you do with that? both of those things? Like, knowing you have somebody that cares about you, but then also thinking you know a prophecy or some sort of bit of magic that says that you should be doing something, even if it's a misunderstanding. I mean, this is the most A Song of Ice and Fire shit in the entire series so far. Have we ever had a prophecy on someone's deathbed? Question mark. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing, I guess, that happens in the Targaryen family a lot, right? Like uh, with Aemon. I love that you, you brought this piece in because... I do think that they did a great job of executing that well. And I know, so I, I do have mixed feelings on like how I feel about them doing this misunderstanding and uh, with the prophecy at the end. I don't know if like Alicent knows it's a prophecy or if she's just like, all right, this is what Viserys wanted. And he's just like, 
saying whatever. Mm-hmm. Considering that in the behind the scenes uh, after the episode, they said that they wanted this moment. They wanted to to give it an element of tragedy, right? They wanted it to be tragic. And when they say that, I do think that they mean, you know, capital T tragedy, Shakespearean tragedy, especially because it's what George was saying um, he got from this season. He said that he felt that it was very much a Shakespearean tragedy. And I assume he has seen the entire season because he is one of the producers, one of the executive producers. I th- I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they would only give him, I guess, six episodes, right? But I think, like, because he's part of the creation and has been working closely on it, he saw it. And he loved it. No, I mean, he did see it. Like, he has said so publicly. Okay, yeah. I just wasn't sure if I was interpreting that correctly. No, he just didn't see... Um, I'm um, not sure if I'm the one with the wrong prophecy. He you know? didn't see, like, all the finished finished. He saw all of it. He just didn't see, like, final CGI and graphics. Got it. Got it. Which, it's not that necessary, you know? The, the, the acting, like, the heart of this part of the story is not the CGI, you know? It's not the dragons. And if their intent is to convey something that is a Shakespearean tragedy, I do think that this scene um, is a successful execution of that genre. And I do think it works because a key facet of what makes something a Shakespearean tragedy that leads to that tragic twist, um, not twist, but like that leads to it is a called the influential accident. It's one of the elements that A.C. Bradley points out in his scholarship of analyzing different Shakespearean tragedies. Um, And an example of the influential accident is, for example, Romeo missing the friar's message about Juliet's ruse and being like, oh my god, she's really dead, and then taking the poison, right? Or Desdemona losing her handkerchief and then that being used to like manipulate Othello into being like, yo, she's having an affair. That is what's happening. And it's like, that is not what was happening. But um, these sorts of influential accidents are are part of that. And I think that this scene that works as that because it is an accident right it's a misunderstanding of that prophecy because he thinks it's he thinks it's Rhaenyra and then you have like I think a lot of emotion that's wrapped up in that of as you said right like you were talking about how Allison finally has someone there's hope for her there's someone to break her loneliness and that's why I think it's important that when Allison hears this she doesn't immediately say, I understand. She hesitates and she's thinking about it. She's thinking about what Viserys said. And then she finally steals herself up to do it because she's just finally gotten like the first sunshine. She like in this darkness of like duty that she has hold herself up in, right? She has removed passion from her life, filled it up with the, the faith of the seven and just when it's within her grasp, she has to, she she does what she does, which is choose duty and sacrifice, because she thinks that Viserys is bestowing this duty upon her to crown Aegon, and that's it. people don't unlearn their habits, you know what what they've been taught to do, like who they are, so quickly, and that's that's what she defaults to. Yeah, and she definitely takes duty out of that, right? Like, she immediately goes, ah, I have duty to do here with this. Like, it's not a it's not a yeah. choice that she's choosing out of her passion. She's choosing out of her duty. And I actually 
think there's been a lot of bad faith arguing going on around this because she's already been primed about this prophecy. He told her once when she was pregnant with Helena in front of the fire all about it. So yes and no that she is choosing this to go along with it because, I mean, he already told her it was a possibility that he dreamed of a boy coming out with Aegon's yeah. Conqueror crown on it and that all the dragons roared as one. I mean, he told her that he dreamed that. Well, what's in the trailer for next week but Aegon's crown? And that's what they're going to crown Aegon too with. I mean, this is a very big misunderstanding to then act off of. And it's not, I don't know, I don't think it's that surprising considering that conversation she already had with him to understand the prophecy in full 10 years ago, 16 years ago. And I I agree with that. Like, I do think that there is an element in which she is, there is an element of choosing, right? In the in the way that we see with every prophecy, right? When it comes to, for example, Melisandre reading um, The Prince That Was Promised, Stannis reading things about who the prince that were promised was, Rhaegar as well. Um, all of these characters being like, oh, it, it me, it me, right? Or like, oh, it's Stannis. Yeah. And, and there's an element of desire that, comes into play when reading the prophecies and that's true of any text i think that is true of when you consume a story in media in general you bring yourself to it and you bring uh your life and that becomes part of how you consume the text and uh your own desires what you want to see out of it yeah there's choice but there's also not absolutely you know you know what i'm saying i know you know i know oh you God. know what i'm saying yeah she's absolutely backed into a wall <laughs> you understand this, me i mean what are you supposed yeah. to do when your quote-unquote yeah. love says some cryptic shit as he dies? And you want to feel, along with that, you know, she's torn of, like, Rhaenyra and her love for Rhaenyra, but also her love for, like, she wants, like, you you, you made that great comparison of, like, early Allison being like, I just wanted someone to say that they were sorry for what happened to me. And I think Allison also just wants to be acknowledged. Yeah. Right. And like to an extent to see this to for this prophecy to be about her son, maybe it wasn't all for naught. She wasn't just the king's bed warmer. Yeah, maybe birthing this asshole meant something. Well, I'm sure next week we're going to find out more about this asshole, the prince that was promised. <laughs> Aegon the second, the prince that was yeah. promised. And I wanna tell you guys, this trailer is juicy. If you watch it, if you slow that shit down, oh man, I had to watch this one. I had to watch this one a lot to bring you guys this breakdown. So let's talk about this trailer. First off, the king's dead. We kind of knew that. We have a king's guard tending to his sword. Otto and Kristen are flanking a deeply upset Alicent. Alicent tells someone of Viserys' dying wish that Aegon be king. Gold cloaks appear to be hurting small folk in the street. I'm guessing they might be hurting them towards a certain dragon pit where they're going to crown a certain king. Mm. You know, very Trump style, right? Like, oh, I had thousands of people there. <laughs> Men are in the throne room in front of Otto getting down on their knees. Otto is telling people, presumably the small council, that the doors are to remain closed until they finish their business. We see Aemond and Helena watching something in the throne room. Otto charges Eric, or Arik, one of the two, with something, and he says, None can know who you are or what you seek. Rainey's struggles with her door. She seems to be locked in King's Landing. She is in King's Landing. And then there's a shot. Yes, Ooh. this is going to be juicy. This is a very juicy change. Interesting. 
There's a shot of Talia and other serving people, and possibly a young boy that looks like a Targaryen, possibly baby Jaehaerys, maybe, being taken down to the cells. Mm. Um, I'm imagining maybe they saw Viserys. So these are people that have seen him dead and are being taken down into the dungeons until, you know, they clear everything up. We see Alicent at the small council mm-hmm. asking, what about Rhaenyra? We have a shot of a Kingsguard and a gray hooded figure. Uh, by the shape, it almost looks like it could be Missaria. I'm not really sure. In an alleyway in King's Landing with an immense amount of small folk rushing near them. There's a very odd shot that's gray, foggy, smoky with someone falling through the air. So it makes me wonder if it's someone mounting a dragon or something. Oh. Larius hmm. is revealing something to Alicent. And then there's a shot of a boy in this jail cell who has very, 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 very pale hair. Now I say he has hmm. very, 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 very pale hair. Because I literally think this might be game in pale hair. And I thought I was kind of kidding at first of myself because I was like, there's no way. But I have prayed to all the different gods over the last few weeks that we're going to see game in pale hair. And I'm starting to think I might have won. Um, in the next shots, you have kind of some people fighting, punching. There's blood, but it looks like they're being cheered on by others. And they all look like small folk, possibly younger. So maybe the streets of King's Landing, which Gaiman is very much associated with. Uh, and he's very much being revealed as some sort of plot point in this episode, this guy in the trailer, this kid in the trailer. The next shot, which makes yeah. me think maybe Eric or Arik are involved with Game and Pale Hair, uh, you see Aemond on the stairs wearing his full Damon Spirit Halloween getup, Happy October, facing someone else who's in a dark cloak. And the next shot, you see Eric or Arik fighting someone in a dark cloak, so it makes me think it's that mysterious third person. Kristen pulls his sword on Harold Westerling in the small council. Beesbury is not happy with committing treason. And then we have what looks like Aegon's coronation. There's also a shot of Aegon being dragged or chased through the dragon pit by one of the Cargyles, which I'm like, you and I were talking, is he really just running? What a mood. What a mood. <laughs> I think he's, yeah, I think he's trying to run away. Just <laughs> hilarious. Uh, I would run away from being king too. I mean, this is what Viserys should have done. Just run. Yeah. When they pulled that council and Jaehaerys yeah. was like, Maesters, give me this piece of paper you definitely didn't forge and nobody voted for. You know that Viserys was like, should I run? Should I just run? I should run, right? <laughs> uh, Emma? He looked real happy like, Emma, though. could you run right now? He should have run, but he was like, He's like, we did it. It was me. They picked me. I was born with the penis. Good job, yep. me. Yeah. Uh. And finally, speaking of born with penis, we get a shot of the Conqueror's crown. And then Rainies asks Alicent if she's ever pictured herself on the Iron Throne. And that is what we're going to see in the mm. Green Council next week, which looks like a bottle episode. It looks like it's going to be full King's Landing. That'd be wild. That'd be crazy, which I, I think you're right. I it think makes you're sense. Right. But yeah, I also think you're right that I I think it's game and I want to believe. I mean, kind of early, but it's good to start establishing it and also like showing things, you know, regarding Aegon's activities. Well, and that's what I'm thinking is it connects perfectly to the last episode where we see that Aegon is sexually assaulting women constantly. And Alicent is just learning about one. And it's kind of like bedbugs. Where there's one, there's probably more. Yeah. He is a little fucking bedbug. 
It was Aegon, right? Yeah. 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 It was rumored that Gaiman Palehair was one of Aegon's bastards. <sighs> well, it looks like a banger. It looks packed. We're very excited about the upcoming episode for a couple of other reasons that we'll, we'll touch on next week. But yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled for some updates there. And we look forward to talking with you next week. Um, and, you know, like, if you want to hear some of our thoughts, if you have thoughts that you want to tell us, you can always find us on social media at on twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or you can also send us emails. If you have funny edits or if you have animals that you want to just share with us just because, you can email us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, make sure you're subscribed to us on your favorite platform to listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Google Play, Apple, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio. Yes, and of course you can always find us on Patreon.com where we have these episodes as well as bonus episodes once a month for patrons in the $5 tier and above, the Stranger tier and above. Yes, and if you're in the Thunder tier and above, you'll get access to weekly House of the Dragon discussions and voice chats as well as monthly brunch slash happy hour. That's over at Patreon.com slash Girls Gone Canon. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Uh, Chloe, I sign off first nah, in these. Fine, do it again. <laughs> no, it's too late. We've made our choices. You're the prophesied one. Goodbye. Goodbye. Be spinning the boards. Mm-hmm.